This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking Thor colon Ragnarok. Hammer time. Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hi! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly, recover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other fun movie topics. This is episode 305, 305. I think that's an odd number. It, it is an odd number. <laughs> okay, just making sure. Make sure that I can still count. If you didn't know the definition of odd and even numbers, you had a one in two chance of getting that right, so... I mean, it could be a prime number. It could be both. That's true. <laughs> anyway. Glad we worked that way. I'm glad we always start the podcast with math-based like humor. Yeah. Like, that seems to be the running joke here. Uh, but yeah, this week for 305, we're talking Thor Ragnarok. I think you forgot the colon. Sorry. Thor colon Ragnarok. There you go. On the poster, is no colon, and the title where you spell it, there is a colon, so you know. It's weird. Yeah. But yeah, we're talking Thor colon Ragnarok this week. The third chapter of the Thor film franchise within the MCU, which makes it the 17th film in the MCU. So there you go. And joining us today to talk Thor, Colin Ragnarok, we have from the heart of Beverly Hills, he just lost a huge gladiator bet and owes the Grandmaster a lot of money. It's Peter Paris. Hey, everybody. And from Milky Way Blues, he's got a great opportunity about purchasing a rainbow bridge he wants to tell you about. It's Yancey Burns. Hey, guys. How are the two of you doing today? Good. I'm good. I got up early, uh... My girlfriend got up early to go to work, so I've been up since like seven. So I've been pl- been playing a lot of games, actually, not not movie related. Sorry. What, are you, what are you been playing? Oh, Mario. Oh, I, I love the new Mario. I, I'm, How I, dare you show me that I'm missing out? Oh, what's the? You don't like Mario? I was like, no, I, I just I don't have a I don't have a um, switch. A switch. Yeah. Even, even Yancey Burns, who's like not a video game person, even he knows what Mario. Even you've played Mario as a kid, right? Yeah, I know Mario, but I just don't have a Switch. He, do, he doesn't Mario. have a Nintendo's Will Smith Smith uh, Switch. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's well now it's it's totally worth getting because it's like you got that and Zelda. So I mean it's it's worth it's worth it. Yeah, I those think. would be the that that was why I got the Wii because I knew it was Zelda and the um, what was it the what was the previous Zelda the uh, Skyward Sword. Um, that was when right. I was like, well. This seems like the time to get one, <laughs> and, then, and I've never played my Wii since. I wasn't sure if Aaron. I wouldn't sure. I wasn't sure if you're going to say that you wouldn't play something like Nintendo games. I thought you'd think that would too, be too kiddie for you. I wasn't sure if you're only Uncharted and stuff. So I wasn't sure. You clearly don't know the. I still play Mario Kart. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I still have. I still have my Nintendo 64 in my room. <laughs> Wait, what's it hook? What does it plug into? His CRT television. The back of the television. It still has the input, the video and audio inputs. You have an old CRT television? No, but I'm I have a I have a television that has <laughs> audio and video inputs. Oh, I guess. Yeah. I was like, wow, did you plug that in? Um, but oh, I saw Ladybird. We're so. not we're not talking about this yet. <laughs> we're not talking. We're talking about games. We're, you're, soon. It's you, coming soon. You jumped ahead like yeah. two segments. Mario, Mario terrific. You guys should check it out. Good. This concludes Mario Corner. Um, <laughs> let's, let's move on. Let's get to some show notes stuff real quick. Uh, first up, uh, it's now November, finally. 
Um, but we have five plus a bonus bonus horror episodes currently on the uh, on iTunes and Audio Boom. We did five bonus horror shows plus a bonus Jigsaw episode last week as well. So if you really want to hear a lot about horror, there's about 20 hours worth of content you can find right now. Um, that's all new uh, for the most part. Uh, it was a lot of fun to record. Uh, let's see. What else? iTunes reads and ratings. Good to get those, of course. Helps with the show. Helps with the people behind the show. If you want to log on to iTunes, search out now if you're in a name, you can do that. You can give us a star rating. That'd be awesome. If you want to write us a little review, that'd be great, too. Or tell us, like, math jokes. Or more math jokes we can use in the show. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's how the review should start. Shows, okay. Whatever. Also, here's my consent for you to use this joke. Colon. Return. Next paragraph. Math joke. Like, all of that. I think would be great for the iTunes. In, in exactly that format. Exactly. Colin, return. Yeah. <laughs> Shift, enter. You know, return. Get down to the next line. I don't want don't to make it all lump so you can't read the joke properly. Makes sense that way. It's about organization, Abe. I like it. Okay. <laughs> let's move on. Let's get, let's get to know everybody. Reach will be asking each other a question or two. Try to set the tone of the podcast and better get to know no, everybody. everybody. <laughs> That's pretty good. Abe, why don't you start this one off? I've got a question for you guys. If you guys are fighting your evil sibling, what's the color that you guys associate with them? That, that's Green. not where that's not where I saw the second half of that question going. <laughs> green. Yeah, my brother loves green. So you're what? what what's your color? Oh, orange. Orange all the way. This is green. Huh. Okay. Orange for the win. <laughs> okay, I like that. I don't have an evil sibling. I'm trying to think of uh, my favorite color is green, so I'm obviously Pete's evil sibling on some level. But I, I don't know. <laughs> yellow? I think yellow is maybe. And maybe that's a Green Lantern thing, but I think yellow is probably the nemesis color for me. I've never had much affection for yellow. Oh, I'd like to add my two siblings are not evil. I, I just thought it was weird. <laughs> as no, no, we're, we're going we're to edit that part out. Know that's, that's coming yeah. out of the show. <laughs> totally, totally forget that they were evil. Oh, yeah, I assume that's what he meant. Yeah. They were evil. <laughs> Both of them. Yellow and green, though. Okay, so we got orange and green, yellow and green. Green seems to be pretty common right now. I'll go red. Red and? Well, I'm blue, so I'll go red. Blue and red. Ooh. I like some of these. Just just to recap, we're editing this so it says Peter thinks his siblings are evil. That's I think we're, we've landed right. on this question. I think that's Peter's the... like, I, I really don't. <laughs> and... We'll be taking calls from Pete's siblings in about 20 minutes. It's going to be yeah. fun. Yeah, we got we opened up the 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 phone lines again for the podcast, just like three hundred episodes. <laughs> I have a question. Anybody with a beef? I have a question for you guys. Okay. Iron Man has ACDC. Thor now has Led Zeppelin. What do the other Avengers get as their rock and roll theme? That's a great question. Artist. They're not even rock and roll well, necessarily, I, I, guess. I'm, I guess. Do you mean a I guess a particular is because I mean obviously Star Lord and the Guardians of the Galaxy have a very specific like late seventies, early eighties. Uh, Peter, I believe I said the Avengers. I don't believe Star Wars a part of the Avengers. Oh, no, Star Lord! Dare you, Lord? I'm sorry, I meant Star Lord. I said that Star Wars not in the. I didn't see Star Lord in Age of Ultron. <laughs> um. Else? Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, you're right. No, yeah. you're right. Fancy uh, one takes one. I think uh, Captain America would. I mean, they don't actually have these musics, but they should. I think Captain America at this point could be could be Credence, like a lot of Credence. There you go. I like yeah, CCR. Yeah. yeah, CCR. And then for the Hulk, I don't know, Sabbath. Maybe well, some Sabbath. I can see Hulk with Sabbath. That makes sense. Or any big sort of boisterous booming. 
you know. So I like the Sabbath plan. I think that's a good that's a good one. Okay, good. What good. do we what 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 there's there's a couple more. What about uh, Hawkeye? What's Hawkeye again? Scarlet or Black Widow would be maybe the Pretenders. Hawkeye like the Hawkeye, the Allman Brothers. Know. Hawkeye is... the Allman Brothers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> No one's gonna care what Hawkeye's music is, but yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's on his family farm. Not Skinner. He's a, he's a, he's not a Skinner guy. He's a, he's an Almond Brothers guy. What's yeah. what's Vision get? Bowie. Bowie. There yes. Or like Gary Newman. Yes. Even, like if you want to get weird. <laughs> Scarlet Witch gets uh, uh the Doors. Or Stevie Nicks. Stevie Mac. Nicks. Yeah, I was thinking People Are Strange. Um, let's see. What's Spider Man get? Like. Uh, Backstreet Boys. No newer, but rockish. <laughs> this Spider-Man would get some kind of a ska thing. I don't know, like a, like a oh. really sort of so, so like like the mighty mighty Bostos. <laughs> yeah, or like mighty you know, mighty yeah. Bostos. Yeah, that would, like, I could see that working on an action sequence in a Spider-Man movie. Or you give him Sublime, even even though it's got heavy sort of drug stuff, that, that might even work. Is that all of them? We, <laughs> I, I think it. that's all of them. Well, let's see. No, no, Falcon gets Marvin Gaye, right? Because of the Winter Soldier. Um... Sure, that's a very good combo. Okay. That's a nice uh, Curtis nice Mayfield, maybe Curtis, Curtis well, Mayfield. Nick, Nick, Nick Fury can get Curtis Mayfield. <laughs> Nick Fury needs someone a little more, uh, like maybe Teddy Pendergrass, a little more, a little uh, harder, sort of implied anger in there, a little harder, or, or yeah. forcefulness. Yeah, maybe okay. even Levi Stubbs in the Four Tops. I like, I like this. <laughs> we really not working out well. I think we covered it now. <laughs> I, think yep. we, I think we've got them all. Good. And Jarvis does he need one? That's the vision. That's right? vision. Yeah, he's Bowie. <laughs> we, got, we got that under What does Karen get then? Oh, that's um, Spider Man's suit lady. Spider Man's Spider Man's AI. Well, she's is not a thing yet. She's, she's just in the suit still. So. No, it's it's um, Jennifer Connelly. Connelly's voice. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, they made a very clever husband and wife duo. Right. All right. I think we wrap this anyway, up. That was pretty good. <laughs> okay. Good. That was well, fun. I'll package these up. I'll send these to Feige right away. All right. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. All right. That's how you play. No, no everybody. Let's move on now. Let's get out of quickies. Yep. Each week now that we will be with the quickies. Really, a lot of uh, tongue, wag- tongue wagging in that one. I took a deep <laughs> breath and just let it all out at the same time. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Out of quickies. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Abe, yeah. have you seen any other movies this week? I did. I watched uh, Happy the Death Day. And that's, that's what you went rock. for this week? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I kind of watched it uh, through other means, but yeah, that's a, it's a fun little romp, I guess. It's uh, not terrible, but it's not great. I, w- I was kind of questioning. Oh, fine. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of fun. Um, I was questioning like, well, that seems to be a little odd for what's happening uh, in terms of a, a storyline element later in the movie. And then I was like, oh, I guess they did think about that too. So, they thought about the the storyline and and what's happening with her and basically it's a movie about uh, Groundhog Day Groundhog's Day about uh, this college student being killed repeatedly and she kind of just solves her own murder uh, in a comical and kind of serious way but yeah it's definitely probably something you could watch on on Netflix or something like that the other thing I did watch was I finally watched the opening to um, Valerian. In the city of a thousand planets. Oh yeah, because you saw um, only the parts after the one of the best parts. That's of the movie. correct. <laughs> I, I saw exactly when Rutger Howard starts talking, 
So I missed uh, all of the amazing David Bowie handshaking that goes on. And it actually kind of made me sad <laughs> I was, when I was watching it. I was like, this is really touching. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I watched. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you caught up on the best part of the way. <laughs> uh, Peter, what have you seen recently? I uh, just saw Lady Bird, uh, which I thought was terrific. I saw you gave it a nine. And uh, I would agree. It was really funny. Um, yeah, it was great. I, I don't really have any major, you know, what, actually, you know what, here's something I wanted to bring up about Lady Bird. Um, there is a moment in Lady Bird. This isn't a huge, I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's, you know, it's a coming of age story. There's a moment where the character has to kind of, um, do make a decision and do something. And it's the kind of decision that happens in movies. And it was occurring to me how this is kind of an interesting example of how, like, I don't think in real life it would be very rare for a teenager to have the kind of courage to do something like that. Um, but strangely, this is a, you know, it's a made up story I and mean, it's fiction or whatever. Well, actually, technically it might be based on Greta Gerwig's life, but it's not, in general, it's fiction. It's, I mean, oh, it is fiction. It's beyond, so, beyond the fact that she's from San Sacramento and, and existed in 2002 where this movie set, it's still, it's just. Oh, fiction. so her mother, okay, so all that stuff doesn't, like her relationship with her mom, all that the, stuff. The, the character of Lady Bird is not like her. Everything else is somewhat, has some kind of connection to her life, yeah. Okay. But there's a, there's a moment where I don't want to give it away. There's a, there's a moment that entails a prom, as most high school stories do. And there's a decision that she has to make. And I don't think in real life a real teenager would be able to have the courage to do what she does. And yet, and yet, it's because she does that that I, as an audience member, get so endeared to her. I mean, I already was, but I mean, even more so. And it just it, it just exemplified to me how um, fictional stories, you know, narratives, strangely, in it, in it being artificial, it somehow seems to ring more true, which is weird because it's like, well, really, that wouldn't happen. But like it needs to happen, and I'm and, it, and the story's better for it. Again, I don't really want to give it away, but you know what I'm talking about because you know about the prom because you've seen it. I know but. what you're talking about. I just it wouldn't have occurred to me that that'd be a controversial choice to make. I would say there's. It's I don't know. Oh, no, I don't mean it controversial. Like this isn't like no, but as far as you, the it's exceeding the limits of what you believe to be possible for a person to make that, that kind of choice. Those kids wouldn't. When I brought this up with my girlfriend, she said, "Well." Maybe it does because of the kind of person Lady Bird was in the beginning of the movie because she kind of goes through a change. And I was like, yeah, all I'm saying, like me personally, I don't think I would have had that courage to do that just because I would have been a dumb, insecure teenager. Like, so but anyways, anyway, my point, my point is, is that like, no, I loved it. I thought it, I'm sure Aaron will be shocked. It was better than Happy Death Day. I'll say that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How dare you, Peter? <laughs> y Yancey Burns is going to love it. I know he wants to see it. I do want to see it, yeah. Well, Yancey, what, what have you seen this week? Uh, I haven't seen anything else new other than Thor, although I did finally catch up with, uh, since the last time I talked to you, Fine Gentleman, I finally saw both it and Blade Runner 2049 okay. and <clears throat> liked it a lot more, actually, than most people seem to have. I know it was a huge hit, but I thought the reviews were sort of B range. I thought it was kind of B plus, A minus. I was really surprised how much it reminded me of the book, which I haven't read in 20 years, but it, it called it to mind. I was really impressed. And then Blade Runner, I thought, was pretty tremendous. Um, you know, not big news there on either front, but but I did I did really like both. I'd say it's kind of big news. Too. I was curious what you thought of Blade Runner. <laughs> you, you like loved it. That I think much. a lot of people were. Actually, oh, Yancey had some good observations about Blade Runner that I did not think of that made me 
that kind of makes the end resonate a little more with me. I, I would, I really would like to see Blade Runner one more time in the theater before it leaves. It's just such a pretty, you know, gorgeous film. It is. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just really glad they brought. I could really tell they brought back Hampton Fancher, the screenwriter, one of the from the from the first one. Yeah, it just felt like that same. In the very first moment, it felt like the ideas were coming from that same place, and that that really did it for me. And I, and I you know, I haven't been the biggest fan of pronounce the director's name for me. I feel like an idiot. Denny Villeneuve. Yeah, I, I haven't. <laughs> I I know we talked about this. I loved Prisoners. I haven't loved anything since. But this one, I, I thought was really. You know, there's there are things about it that's a little bit long. There are some things that seem unnecessary, but it's it's got that visionary appeal that so few movies have. I definitely can't wait to see it again. Um, yeah, it's you like, didn't like uh, more recent Denny Villeneuve movies. I did not like them, but I thought that Arrival and uh, Sicario Sorry. and even Enemy were good, not great. Okay, I know I'm a minority there, but no, I got you. I got you. Um, but I really was blown away by Prisoners, which I guess is an unpopular opinion now. But but this was the first one since then where I was like, okay, he's really got his own. Although here's a controversial statement I'm going to make, and I'm going to make it. I'm kind of curious how it would have been if Ridley Scott had directed it. It probably look a better. lot like Alien Covenant. <laughs> so. I, like Alien Covenant. I, I think I think it actually would have been a good movie because which we call it. Uh, he's Scott is in that whole entire like good movie bad movie syndrome right now. So he's kind of like David Ayer. So he, the last one he made was Alien Covenant. So I'm going to guess that it would, it would have been a good movie. I, for I guess we'll never know. I'm curious. I wouldn't doubt the quality of it just because Scott seems so more, much more interested in android life than he does in Alien. So it's like I, it seems like he'd back, be back at home if he was making Blade Runner again. Like the, the length and the amount of process they show in Blade Runner, it seems to you know echo Scott heavily. I mean, the whole movie does. So it's, it doesn't seem out of... <laughs> The realm of expectation yeah, that he delivered. Yeah, movies over in the Alien series. I guess is the answer. To I mean, that. also, also Villeneuve as a director kind of reminds me of a Ridley Scott. So I don't really know. See, I actually don't know how much different it would be. Like, there's a lot of there's there are some things that there'd you could be less signifying, less trying to overtly say, "Hey, we're doing Blade Runner." I think it would be probably under think, the yeah. And, uh, after watching be. Covenant, I doubt I disagree. Honestly, you are wrong, Aaron. I know we saw Covenant together, and Pete and I did not like it that night, but I saw it again. That's terrific. How I mean, I've, I've seen it a couple movie? times at this point. Too. Wait, wait, <laughs> you've grown to like Covenant? I really have, yeah. I have, I actually, I wow, will, okay. I will say I have two. Yancey let me borrow the 4K, and I don't know, it felt like maybe I was in a bad mood, because I was like, oh, this is way better than I thought it was. Like, I, I yeah, I don't know if I like it as much as Yancey, but I'm I'm definitely like B plus, B plus now. Before I was like B minus. I was like, hey, eh. Aaron, I need you to put my head on straight. Should I rewatch Covenant? I mean, again... I didn't dislike Covenant. I just think it's fine. I think it's doing a little too much to kind of please the audience um, as well, right, right. while also certainly, while, certainly. while also mixing in his own preferred ideas involving Michael Fassbender's character. Where it's like, if you want to do that, then do that. Okay, like I just, I he it doesn't seem to settle on what movie he really wants to make, and that's that's what bugs me with it. Along with just certain choices that are made, and CG aliens are just not frightening in a movie that's you know purporting itself to be frightening. Um, <laughs> That's all true. I, I I just think that compared to the other big ticket um, popcorn movies this year, I, it just it looks to me like such a more well made and 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 thoughtfully made. I know it's kind of all over the place, but I can I can agree with yes, craft shows, but that doesn't go very far for me if it's still not a ultimately satisfying experience. And to compare it to and if I compare it to other horror movies from this year, I was like, yeah, how can that not? How can I say I don't like that movie? It's totally like. I don't know. Well, I'm to make it to make it clear to Peter, Alien Covenant is better than Happy Death Day. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> 
I, I, how I, I, dare I, I, you both? <laughs> how dare you? I would agree. Like, no. <laughs> well, we expect more from Alien Covenant than we do from Happy Death Day. But I think when the sort of things settle, movie versus movie, I think Alien is probably better than some do people. people say. That's a that's a different question that takes us way off where we're supposed to be right now. But do people expect more from something like Alien Covenant, a sequel to a movie that people generally don't seem to like very much, with a director that's very hot and cold? They do because they're thinking about how is this going to mess with my memory of the ones I already like? Is it going to ruin that for me? Is it going to is it going to maintain that? Um, right, I forgot. I yeah, I, I keep forgetting that like people are. Star Wars, I, I keep so forgetting that people Star are so Wars. dependent on. If this movie sucks, the movies before it also suck. Like that's really it's weird. The, it's a the weird con- thing. I don't <laughs> understand that mentality. You can't take a movie away from me by making another movie. But but I just think we of course we go and Ridley Scott is making a new Alien movie. I, I'm thinking of the original Alien, which is the greatest horror movie ever made. I think so. Of course, that's hard. That, that's that, that, that's a, that, that's a taller order than oh, it's a slasher movie. Oh, let's go see it. I mean, I just think that it, to be fair, it's a, it's if we're looking at genre movies of 2017, it's pretty good. I mean, I think 20 years from now, people will be watching Alien Covenant still. I don't know. My prediction compared to Happy Death Today, sure. I mean, I can say that. Well, just guys, just mean that I think it's like a, you know, you guys know how it is when movies come out. It's very political. I don't mean politics like like social justice politics, but I mean like box office and all this stuff and. The director's too old. The last one wasn't good. Like, well, maybe we get a really good idea of how good these movies are for a couple of years, I think. I think. It's, okay, it's, enough about Clint Eastwood. Sorry. I will say, I mean, it's really strange, not necessarily politics, but one I've been kind of curious to bring up, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I just rewatched. And I was always okay with it, but I really liked it. And Aaron, you, I think, were like me. I think you were like, yeah, it's good, three stars, like. But I really liked it. Now I'm surprised how good I thought it was. Why, why did you Why did you watch it, Pete? Because of you. Thank you. Because <laughs> yeah, Yancy, yeah, Yancy yeah, Brow, the box set. I watched the first three. Uh, the first one's terrific. The second one is good, but it's so kind of original that I really like it. And then the third's okay. I'm surprised the third one is so beloved because it's. I mean, it's good. It's just, I don't know. It's weird. The third one, it's like... The third one yeah, is Dream Warrior, which kind of sets the... It sets the tone for the rest of the franchise is like what people generally regard that series as, like Freddy being two a jokester. X-Men. And... Two, two X-Men for me. Yeah, it is kind of X-Men. I think... I think but, either, but, 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 but Aaron and Abe, what do you guys think of the original, the first one? The original... Nightmare on Elm Street. I, I think it's kind of goofy. I mean, it's all right. I think it's... It's been my feeling, too, before. We, we've talked about this on our... Not you guys specifically, but we've talked about this in our horror episodes before because I've I've seen Nightmare on Elm Street plenty in my life, and it just always mm-hmm. struck it always strikes me as a movie that has a great central idea and has some memorable sequences, but just ultimately isn't the best executed because I think Wes Craven's okay as a director, and I think that shows in a lot of his films. I think there's some real standouts that certainly show his expertise when he's at his peak, um, but I do think that's one where it's like he did a, he had a great idea. And just based on limitations or even his own limitations as a filmmaker, it just kind of doesn't quite work as well as he wants it to. Well, I always felt the same way, and I've seen it many, many times over the years. And, and it wasn't until this last time that I was like, no, this is great. I really thought the psychological. Yes, it, it, I always thought that until Scream, he never made like a, a, a well-made movie. They were all kind of crude. And, and it is crude. Like the acting is a little crude. And, but the psychological, I, the psychological depth, the psychosexual ideas on display are so profoundly um, it's a really good teenager movie. It's like about teenagers and teenage life. And, and the fact that Freddie appears in Nancy, in Heather Langenkamp's bed with her rolling around is like, that's powerful imagery and he knows what he's doing. And 
there's none of that in the ones he didn't direct. So it's, yeah, I think I'm thinking again, that's a classic. Yeah, again, there's a, there's a great number of memorable. Scenes. I mean, yeah, the, like the the wall scene, the rolling over, rolling around the room sequence, Johnny Depp's death. Like, there's a lot of great stuff in that movie. I don't disagree with that, and I think it's certainly I understand why it sits on among like the pantheon of of certain horror films or whatnot. It's just one that doesn't particularly do it for me. Um, well, I certainly can understand that because I felt that way for a long time. Where are we in all this? <laughs> we're we're on you now. Weeks after Halloween, and we're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. We're on we still have one week. Um, um, already. When's Halloween? I've seen a number of things that I want to make mention of. Um, okay. I've saw downsizing, but I'm not going to talk about it because it's not coming out till like Christmas. So Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will mention, I'll, or I'll second Peter's praise of Lady Bird because I do think it's a very, very good movie that you should see if it spreads uh, to a theater near you. Um, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, The Last Flag Flying, the new Richard Linklater film that arrived in theaters this week. With Steve Carell and... Steve Carell, uh, Brian Cranston, and Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne, The yeah. Last Detail, part two. The last, yes, that? it is a semi-sequel to The Last Detail, a Jack Nicholson film oh, from 1973, really? um, huh. which I did not see until before this movie. I never saw that, so I watched it before. And as a follow-up to that, so basically the, that film, The Last Detail of Jack Nicholson, that involves like three men during time like they're dealing with a certain uh, uh randy quaid's character is like about to like go to jail um so they're kind of like showing up a good night out before that happens and it's like a it's like a minor character comedy um from what hal ashby um this film last the last flag flying it's from the same author the book that's based on it is an actual sequel to the last detail but for various reasons they changed the characters around so it's set now now it's set in 2003 um, the characters all have different names, circumstances are a little different, but it's a, if you watch The Last Detail and then watch this movie, you're like, oh, I see what they're doing here. It's a follow-up, essentially. And Steve Carell plays like a... Fa- he, he and the others, Cranston and Fort Fishburne, they're all Vietnam vets, and yeah. Carell's playing a father of his son who just died in Iraq, so he's trying. He's getting back with his old war buddy so they can take him to a funeral, to, right. to, to the son's funeral. And the, movie, the movie's fine. Um, it's weird to call it a lesser link later, but I do think it kind of falls lower down on the tier of films that he's done uh it's still very good um okay. as far as performances i think these central performances are all strong it's if anything it's just it's so limited in scope um it's just kind of care it's which is typical link later as far as characters sit in the location talk for a while then move to another location and talk for a while that's not you know mm. that's not new for link later but at the same time seeing him evolve over the years with, between like the before trilogy with boyhood obviously or even something last year, like everybody wants some. There's, he's. I think he's kind of grown as a director, and this feels more like, well, <laughs> trying to try something prestige again. So I'm just going to do this adult-themed character drama comedy, and it just feels like that. It doesn't really feel like a major effort. It just feels more like a let me get these great actors together and see what they can do. Yeah, um, which yeah. is fine. Like it's entertaining watch. It just, I, I don't think it's going to stand on the you know kind of the the sizzle reel of Linklater in years to come. Well, let me ask let me ask you this because like. As a person who, um, I like I like Boyhood, but I respect Boyhood more than I like love it. I love I like the achievement of what Boy, Boyhood was, but I don't I don't get like warm. I get fuzzy. it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I know I know a lot of people love it, of course. And then everybody wants some. Um, I I thought it was okay, which is weird because I know everyone loves that. But he, question because you're you're talking about him going back to his earlier stuff. One of the things that I love about Linklater's work, which I haven't gotten in the last two movies I've seen, is you don't get, except for like the last 10 minutes of Boyhood, as I recall, you don't get a lot of these great things where you have two or three characters 
getting these heady philosophical discussions about something that might seem trivial or something that might seem heavy. That's the thing that I really love about Linklater's work. A, yeah. movie, a movie like this feels like you could do that. You could have Steve Carell and Brian Cranston and them talking about these big heady ideas. Do they do that? First off, I think you're completely wrong about saying he hasn't tackled these kind of ideas in his last two movies. I think Boyhood's filled with them throughout, and I think I, 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 was, I agree with that. Everybody uh, and everybody yeah. wants some has a number of those scenes involving some of the characters, which is why I think that's why I think it exceeds. It's more than just kind of a, a slight comedy. It has moments scattered yeah. in that movie that really. Regardless, um, this one, I'd say by default it does, just because it has characters that have perspective because they're older. Um, they're 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 portraying veterans and they have kind of an opinion on the world that's growing up around them. Um, does it feel significant? Maybe just because of my age, not necessarily, but at the same time, I it's hard to see it as something that's kind of reaching for anything deeper that you walk away talking about afterwards. If that makes sense, like I saw Last Flight Flying what, like a month ago at this point, and I've not thought about it very much. Like it hasn't really stuck with me as far as having something really important to say. Um, if anything, I film one interesting thing is like Linklater, he's leaned on political things in his films in the past as far as kind of certain opinions he has or whatnot, just based off sight gags or even the way certain people talk and specifically boy, boyhood. Um, this film, it's trying to balance being like pro soldier um, was while also being anti-war at the same time. And mm -hmm. that's a neat line to try to walk. I, you have these kind of guys that are portraying veterans and they're dealing with their son who died in Iraq. And it's set in 2003, so it's like right after 9-11, right as the Iraq war is kind of starting. And it's it's not doing too much heavy lifting to kind of have this kind of big opinion on something. If anything, the, there's a scene involving cell phones that feels more prescient. Um, but the... it's it, it has, like, moments where it's trying to get it some kind of idea. It just doesn't have anything greater that really kind of resonates i guess mm, okay can i just I, let me just back up one second i gotta ask pete about five minutes ago talking about boyhood pete said something that i hear a lot i keep hearing the same criticism of that movie ever since they started an oscar campaign for boyhood everybody has been saying oh i, I get that the idea is cool but it doesn't really do anything for me i don't know what anybody's talking that movie is fantastic am i the only person 100 <laughs> percent agree it was my yeah, number one of the year Yancy, it so. was my number one of the year <laughs> movie that's as link ladder yeah. as it could possibly ever be <laughs> and you gotta not, see it again that's not, not like bandwagon too much on boyhood because i know that pete you you like it you just don't, don't really love kind of thing it's just more that it's about there's there's nothing crazy about it because that's kind of how life is it's not as though it's life so is like every, every corner you turn you have to go fight russian spy agents like jack ryan in a hotel room it's like no i mean these kids are just hanging out they're just learning through life and i love uh i love uh, uh patricia arquette's uh monologue at the end there it's just it's very true and i i love the and he's a nice that I got kid I too, which is cool yeah like he's not some troubled little me he's a nice kid which is nice it's just you know yeah. anyway he's, he's good i don't i don't know i i like it i i would never I, I, it's a good movie i just don't know why i don't it's so funny to me because i feel like um this is i feel like richard linkletter is one of the few people he's one of the few people like okay so for yancey and i i would in general say that if there's a great filmmaker out there, either Yancey and I discovered them at the same time growing up, or I would, or or I would say Yancey discovered them before I did. Linklater is the only one that I would say because I know I saw Slacker in theaters and he hadn't seen it until recently. So he's one of the only filmmakers that I feel like I 
It just stays confused in the theater. Well, yeah, but so, but I already saw that too. Every single but, one. Since but anyways, but anyways, but but it's just funny here because normally one of the things with Yancey and I is that Yancey and I kind of talk a lot about, um, and I don't know if Aaron and Abe, you guys do this, but there's kind of an ownership we have of like if I discover somebody and then I bring that to Aaron, Aaron, you should check this guy out. I have an ownership of that person for some reason. I just do on a personal level. Whereas what's weird about Linklater is that like. It seems like the reverse is happening here because Yancey came into Linklater after me, but you are praising his more recent movies more than I am. It should be me. I should be the one who's like, everything he does is gold. But for some Why? reason, because it's I. He he owns him. He he's a he's an owner. Yeah, but don't you think that owner might also be a really conservative fan who doesn't want him to change it all from this first vision of him that he had? No, I do want him to. Oh, like, I got you there. I heard that. Not a, <laughs> of course, I I don't. I know what you're saying. Like, uh, I mean, I know, it's, it's, Peter, I, I, I know, I understand what you're getting at. That's a good point. I understand what you're getting at. And I guess for you, that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's like, can't take no, away what, you right, know, the feelings right. you have certain, towards certain movies, let alone change it unless you suddenly watch it again and be like, oh, wait, this is amazing after all. Never mind. Like, right. I just, again, again, I like, boy, I don't know. I just, this is so funny. I just, one of my complaints about Boyhood originally was I was always like, ah, you know, the kid. I always think he's okay as an actor, but I just saw him in something, and actually I thought it was pretty good. And I, oh, the he's, Circle? He's, he's been in a few things. Oh, he is good. At, that was it. Yes, I just rewatched The Circle. and that I just guessed. Still, I didn't even see The Circle yet. So. Yeah, <laughs> circle is still not perfect. but I know he's, he's in it. so it's like... um, He's good in that, but I don't know. I No, of course, Yancey. Of course, I, I, I want my filmmakers to evolve and stuff. I just, I don't know. I don't. I do like. I mean, you I, don't like any. You don't like any young guys in movies ever. Wait, what is what that? What are you talking about? What? That's you not. You don't like any boy characters in movies. I can't think of a single young boy. What character are you in talking about? Guy. I mean, there's tons of guys in Days and Confused. I love all those characters. Grown up. Yeah, all right. Okay. All right. We got it. We got to keep moving. They're gonna edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking I, about a movie that's like three years old, which is great because Boyhood is worth talking about. I will say, but I like. I like at the end. Old. I like at the end of Slacker where the character's like, "I am Slacker," and then it starts the whole RLCU for the rest of the you know the next like twenty years. Oh. <laughs> Um, I I have a couple thing more what things. What does RLC U stand for? The original Linklater Cinematic Universe. universe. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> anyway, other things I've seen. Um, I finished Man uh, Mindhunter. That's the, oh, I was going to say Manhunter? <laughs> yeah, I finished Manhunter. Michael Mann's Manhunter. It's um, oh, a fantastic Richard Harris adaptation. It has a new Screen Factory Blu-ray. It's terrific. Um, <laughs> it all of those things are true. But I also did finish Mindhunter. This is the David Fincher. Yep, he directed four of those episodes out of the ten there are. It's a, it's weird to call it a serial killer mini or a TV series because it's not really. It's not. It's not a. It's not like showing crimes. It's all about right. the detectives that are, or not even detectives. It's all about the FBI agents that are researching serial killers and having interviews with them. To, it's set in the seventies, so they're basically creating the language that we're pretty much familiar with because of movies and TV and stuff, where you yeah. you know know the term serial killer and motive and stuff like that. Um, because of the work that these guys are doing, who are based off like fictional, they're they're fictional characters based off real people, but like it's okay. it's at a time before these things were commonplace as far as terminology, and it's it's well done. I really like the show. Like I think it it um it starts a little rocky, but it really grows into itself as it goes along. And I can only imagine the second season will be even better, just because it kind of has a sure footing, which a lot of drama series tend to do. Um, okay, it's. When you have Fincher directing for those episodes, it establishes a pretty good template, so it looks great. 
Um, the peop- the actors that portray the serial killers who are in jail getting interviewed, they're terrific. Like, I'm not going to purport myself to be some kind of, like, expert on these, you know, the actual people, but just these performances, they range from being unsettling to somewhat, you know, darkly humorous in the way they're kind of asked questions to and whatnot. It's just, it's a solid series on Netflix now. It's 10 episodes. It's not hard to kind of get through. They're all range from 40-ish to 50-ish minutes. So it's, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Mm, okay. Not um, in a tour, because I loved Fringe. Yeah, she's in the yeah she's in the show. She and uh, Holt McElhenney, he's a character actor that's in a lot of things, and Jonathan Groff is like the the lead actor, I guess. He's in um, a number of things. Um, yeah, it's a very very character actor heavy centric show too, as far as kind of the people involved. Um, I watched I watched the um, Angelina Jolie directed First They Killed My Father uh, yesterday. Uh, oh yeah, was is that a Netflix? It's a Netflix original. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's a very well shot movie. That's very. It's the cinematography. I say that on purpose because I think Anthony Dodd Mantel is one of the better cinematographers working right now. Uh-huh. Um, you can, you can, you know, we can name check Roger Deakins all you want, but I think Mantel. What I like about him is he does basically what Kaminsky does, except less extreme. So it doesn't feel like I'm being annoyed by all the <laughs> lens flare and and um, the over brightness that he has in a lot of his films, especially with some yeah. of the Spielbergs in the past couple years. Um, and so the movie, it's, you know, set in Cambodia. It's about this kind of revolution that happened, you know, the kind of revolutions that were happening following the, following American bombings in the Vietnam War. And it's incredibly depressing, obviously. Um, and for a good long while, I was like, well, at least they're not showing too much war violence because it's set mainly from the perspective of a child. And then towards the end, there's a huge ton of war violence that's really hard to watch. Um, <sighs> it's, it's weird that Netflix has these kind of original films that are, especially their dramas like Beasts of No Nation that are all kind of in the same vein. Uh, but this certainly is in the same realm as Beasts of No Nation. Um, it's, I mean, it's set from the perspective of a child. It's in a foreign country, or at least foreign to myself. Um, it can be hard to watch. There are rough things that happen. Not quite to the extremes of Beasts of No Nation, I would say, as far as what, what the other things Idris Elba was doing in that film to some of the kids. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not one I need to see again. Um, I'd be curious what kind of award attention this movie gets by the end of the year, but it's certainly well made. It's just not one that's like, wow, this is really going to stand out as far as the kind of misery dramas about war-torn countries that you've seen. Um, but yeah, it's, Was it released in theaters? It had a limited... For, for limited Yeah, that's, that's how Netflix okay. does these kind of drugs, just yeah. mainly to get it. Um, Oscar consider, award, award consideration, consideration. Yeah. yeah, you have to put it in a few theaters as well as on Netflix, but it is available right. on Netflix and it's been available since like the beginning of October or September or something like that. Cool, um, but it's you know it's a whopping two hours and sixteen minutes, so you're gonna something I liked about Beast in the Nation is that I did get to see it at a screening, so you get a you know you you sit there and you watch the whole thing, you're not really distracted. And this one was like I was in a position where I could watch it and be fairly distracted. And heard the free. motorcycles rolling by. Yeah, I'm not worried about outside distraction, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a it's, it can be a tough sit, <laughs> just okay. based on content. Gotcha. Um, the last thing that Anna and myself we saw yesterday was uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire. This is oh, you did okay. Yeah, this is the guy. Yeah, this is the upcoming yeah. film with Denzel, Denzel Washington from the director writer Dan Gilroy, who directed Nightcrawler, a film that I very much loved a couple years back. Um, this I, I'm not going to talk too much about it because we might do a full review or some kind of review. But I right. will say, I if mean, you like if you like Nightcrawler, this is not very much like it because it's a little lighter and PG-13 as opposed to Nightcrawler, which is very dark and R-rated. Um, that said, Den- Denzel's playing a character here, and uh, I I all 
I appreciate Denzel in general, but I do like it when he kind of stretches a bit more, and he's certainly stretching it a bit here. This is exactly what I want Tom Cruise to do. I think Yancey would agree. I want Cruise to be able to do what I think Denzel's doing with, with, with what looks like Roman Esquire is, where it's just like, oh, he's doing like a drama. Is, I mean, is that what you're saying? Like, it's. I mean, he's, just, well, he, uh, he, play, he plays a character of Asperger's. And so, I mean, it's it requires, you know, a different kind of level than just standard Denzel, which is not a bad thing. It's just you got to kind of do a little bit more than just be mm-hmm. all right, okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I can agree with you as far as Tom Cruise. I wouldn't necessarily see I need to see Tom Cruise play a character with, you know, certain needs or what have you. But Well, they're going to remake Rayman. He's going to play Rayman. They're just going to reverse the roles? Yeah. <laughs> they're going to find a new, they're going to have Zac Efron play his role back from the 80s. What if that was oh. true? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that comes out around Thanksgiving. I just wanted to give mention to it because it's a movie that has, I think, very, besides the fact that Denzel is in it, I think it has very limited appeal to a mass audience. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how it does. But I, I just, I'm, yeah. there's an audience here. It's like a, you can call it, I guess, a legal drama thriller. Thriller is very, un, not very underlying. I don't think it's much of a thriller, but I mean, it has elements. But I just, I don't know how you sell this movie to an audience. So I'll be very curious what it kind of does when it comes yeah. out. You're putting Denzel in everything. But he's a name. He draws people. So, I mean, it'll get a certain crowd, that's for sure. But, uh, he does. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that's still... That was an extended out-out quickies. That was on their quickies. Yeah. All right. Let's move into uh, trailer talk. We talk about some of the newest movie trailers of the week, what we thought of it, when it's an out, and what have you. And this week we have I, Tanya, the um, upcoming comedy, dark comedy drama involving uh, Tanya Harding. Um, the a famed, infamous um, figure skater. Uh, from back in like the 90s and during her kind of controversial reign over the uh, you know that territory um the film stars margot robbie as tanya harding uh, allison janney as is it her mother or her coach i think it's her mom maybe i think it's, both. I think it's her mom it's kind of both yeah. it seems um and yeah let's get into it uh yancy what do you think of the trailer uh, it looks good. It looks good. It looks like they're definitely going for a sort of a Goodfellas kind of a look to it. Um, it's hard to tell how good it's going to be, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if if the lead performance is great. I've heard good things, and and it looks good. I don't know that story is so. I mean, I saw like the the, the ESPN thirty for thirty on that story. I remember when it happened. I mean, it's pretty sorted, and it's going to be easy for them to err on the side of making it kind of goofy. I think, um, but it looks okay. What did you guys think? I, sh- I should note that the film is directed by Craig Gillespie, who has a... It's kind of a journeyman, which is weird. Um, oh, what did he do? Yeah. He did Lars and the Real Girl was his first thing. I love that. That's okay, a movie. Lars um, and the Real then he Girl. did Mr. Woodcock, which is one of those Billy Bob that. Thornton comedies that you forgot about. Nope. Yeah, pass. <laughs> um, then he did the Fright Night remake. That's a good movie. Which I really good. like. He did Million Dollar Arm, good. Abe's favorite movie of that my, summer. My uh, <laughs> Dark Horse pick from 2000 and... <laughs> 12 or whatever the john has more important than the indians in the movie about the indians that play baseball um let's see then he did the finest hours last year that's the boat movie that came out in january also good was good it was a movie and now this that was good so he's like (laughs) i i can't quite get her he's i mean he's like i said he's kind of a journeyman but i can't quite get a read on him so it's like okay now he has this um peter what'd you think of true sorry about that i was um yeah i like it i'm I I love uh, Margot Robbie. Um, there's a little bit I did not see the movie. I should have looked it up. 
wasn't there a movie last year and it was like one of the actresses from the Big Bang Theory and she's supposed to be kind yeah, of like the a, um, the bronze. Oh, it's awful. It was so awful. Which also has Sebastian Stan, who's in yeah. this movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That was an awful um, movie. Yeah, so I guess to me I was kind of like, oh, well, we just had an indie movie about kind of like a temperamental figure skater, but I think maybe that one's a fictional one. Well, she was a gymnast. Didn't say she's a gymnast. Yeah. Oh, gymnast. Sorry. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I hope this is good. I would – I. Yeah, I mean, I would, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be great or anything, but I like, I like Roby, and I think if they can get the humor just right, you know, um, yeah, it could be solid, you know. I, I just noticed that the film is written by Stephen Rogers, and it stars Sebastian Stan, which is kind of funny. Hey, what do you think of the trip? That, that's what he does in his spare time now. He's like, he quit the Avengers, he's like, he's he writes screenplays. He's script writer. He catches up on history and writes screenplays about it. Right. <laughs> Uh, I didn't. I didn't really like the trailer that much. I, I think that it's one of those things where I'm familiar with the story. I was alive when it happened, and I kind of already know the Tanya Harding story. Um, and so to see them kind of go on fun it on a on a whimsical kind of comical thing is just like that's. It's not really the story that I feel that I got from watching a Thirty for Thirty or watching the news or reading above the news or watching any other sort of uh, things that have happened transpired since the event. It's like, yeah, this is this is kind of from a from a pure real story perspective. It's like this isn't one of the the finest moments kind of thing of anybody's life, and True. I know that she wasn't. Um, I don't know if she was directly involved per se, but it just it just to to have the kind of go in the comical dark comedy and also um, biographical slash Wolf of Wall Street type where he she's seemingly seemingly talking to the camera kind of thing. It's right. it makes me curious as to the direction of the movie and whether they're going to go with, well, you know, she was a, it was such a hard life for her that this is all that she could do, um, whereas like. I, it feels like a, a, an opposite thing. So I'm sure the performance is going to be great. I am curious to see it, but ultimately I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent about the, about Tanya Harding herself. That was eloquently said. Thank you. I would say the, for the, the, from the look that I'm getting, um, and I think the trailer is okay, but it is like, again, you mentioned it's riffing on Scorsese, obviously, and even something like Gus Van Sant's to die for, like it seems to have a heavy yeah. satirical bent with some, you know, a lot of black humor involved in it like it has a dark comedic kind of take on the subject matter and honestly if you're gonna get this movie i feel like that'd be kind of preferred i don't know if i want i don't know if i'd be more entertained by the you know dramatic retelling that goes beat for beat of why this person was horrible um something like wolf of wall street i think succeeds because the movie very much is aware of how terrible the person jordan balfour was and it just kind of it lets you realize that as you're watching him um it happens to be a very entertaining movie and i'm not going to say this movie from the finest hours Craig Gillespie is going to be, you know, this, <laughs> um, this thing comparable to Scorsese. Um, but if you're going to give a, a film like this, I guess this is the way to do it. Uh, if, sure, especially yeah. if it speaks to a greater point, which I think it probably will do with like most of these movies tend to do, which is, you know, going for some kind of satirization of the American dream. Um, you know, how, mm -hmm. to, how like to American made, sorry, like American made, like, yes, like American, yeah, like American made actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. As far, yeah, you know, as far as kind of showing off how one becomes a celebrity and maintains their level of fame and the kind of challenges they face from the perspective of a person that, you know, takes the darker paths in their lives to achieve such success. That's an interesting, you know, it's true. There are a lot of movies that are sort of, they're narrated, they're true, sort of true stories narrated by the main character who is of shaky moral 
yeah, an intellectual, either an anti-hero sort of... or like straight up the villain of the piece. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder when that started. <laughs> Maybe Goodfellas. Well, yeah, Goodfellas probably popularized some more. I think there's probably Goodfellas way, there's way more other examples, I'm sure. But well, so I mean, like, you know, to me, that's that's the problem with. I mean, I like American Made, and of course, you know, there's Goodfellas, but uh, and I don't, I know, I know Yancey is okay with this movie, um, but that's why I think Blow is terrible. Well, yeah, Blow is yeah. not a good movie. I think that's my problem. With Blow. <laughs> well, it's, no, it's not a good movie, and it's also because the guy who wrote it. You know, it's him. It's based on his life, but it felt like the director or something, they were not allowed any kind of distance because the character Johnny Depp plays is never flawed. Everything is always someone else's fault. Mm. Like, don't get that in Goodfellas. In Goodfellas, yeah, he makes a lot of mistakes, and, and even in American Made. But in Blow, everything is everyone else's fault, which is not interesting as a narrative. That, like, Blow is the, you know, the kind of movie where people say it's underrated, and I say, nope, I think it's exactly rated the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> Um, I don't like it very much. Pete always notoriously hated it, so I teach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's the kind of movie like Black Mass, where he was, what's his name? Um, Um, Yeah, I know. Definitely, it was Depp was more. Depp was definitely good. Depp was on his. Yeah, Depp's Depp's doing what he can. Depp's fine in Blow, but I mean, but but in terms of, but but it's like there's there's like a telling you there's a level of there's a level of credit that seems to go to him just for portraying a true character, regardless of the story. I was like, well, Depp's really was like, yeah, well, he's Depp. He's generally fine in things, but like Black Mass, for me, that movie was just like. I was bored. It's a it's a boring it is a boring film, but it's just like yeah, well, that's just, Dep, he, that's Depp's tulpa. He's still really he's still wearing anymore. crazy hats and makeup, like he's not doing anything different than he does normally. He's just like I mean, maybe he's a real life pirate. It's just know. a drama. Hey, let me let me just quote John Mellencamp: "Life goes on long after the joy of living has gone." Okay, I think that's probably what's going on with John. <laughs> yeah. I do I do think it's a bit weird that they cast Will Smith as Nancy Kerrigan to keep that relationship going between him and Roby. That's that's a little odd. Yeah. but um, I mean that that's that's Will Smith's current muse. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyway, regardless, the film comes out t- uh, December eighth, at least, at least like probably limited before it spreads wider. So there you go. Let's move on now. Let's get to our main review for Thor: Roland Ragnarok. So much has happened since I last saw you. I lost my hammer, like yesterday, so that's still pretty fresh. And then I went on a journey of self-discovery. Where I met you. Where are we? You have no idea. Hello, the goddess of death has invaded Asgard. Oh, I've missed this. And you and I had a fight recently. Did I win? No, I won. Easily. Doesn't sound right. Well, it's true. Asgard is dead. And it'll be reborn in my image. I thought you'd be glad to see me. We need to stop her here and now to prevent Ragnarok, the end of everything. So they're putting together a team. Like the old days. Surprise! This will be such fun. Hello. Hi. He's a fighter. Here we go! 
Carrot Monster. I'm the goddess of death. What were you the god of again? Same, you and I. Just a couple of hot-headed fools. Yeah, same. Hulk like fire, mm. Thor like water. Well, kind of both like fire. But Hulk like raging fire, Thor like smoldering fire. That should have been some of the trailer for Thor, called Ragnarok. Thor is a unique entry in the MCU. As thus far, it's the only trilogy to have had three different directors. Uh, Kenneth Branagh brought his Shakespearean leanings and lots of Dutch angles to the first Thor. The Dark World saw Alan Taylor making a business-as-usual product, but now we have The Hunt for the Wilder People and What We Do in the Shadows' Taika Waititi putting his own stamp on the film. It would be wrong and lazy to say this is the first funny Thor, but there is certainly a move towards embracing the bizarre with a new attitude for Thor Ragnarok. The film finds Chris Hemsworth once again dealing with the loss of his hammer on a foreign world, but this time he'll be teaming up with the Hulk, who's become a famed gladiator on another planet to help him return to Asgard and go after the villainous Hela, goddess of death. Uh, played by Kane Blanchett. There will be difficulties thanks to the presence of the duplicitous Loki, uh, Tom Hiddleston, and Jeff Goldblum's hedonistic Grandmaster, but rest assured, <laughs> Ragnarok will be dealt with. Um, start with Yancey. We've had you on earlier this year, talking about Logan, and I know you had a lot of issues with it. We've, we've gone over plenty of times on this podcast, um, and I know you you have some opinions on the superhero films in general that have come along in recent years. Where, where have you been with the Thor series? I'll tell you, when they first announced they were making Thor movies, I was, I, 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 these days I'm a grouchy comic book guy, but when I was a kid, I loved, I mean, Marvel comics were my absolute lifeblood, um, and Marvel comics specifically. So when I heard they were going to do Thor and Captain America, I said, there's no way, there's going to be any way they're going to make those characters appealing to modern audiences. There's no way to make, to spin them into crowd-pleasing characters. And I'll be amazed, they absolutely did it with both of them. And I think largely it has to do with the casting, the, the, the casting for both characters is absolutely spot on. The first, the first two Thor movies, of course, they were a little bit like uh, placeholders for the, like, you know, their advertisements for the next Avengers movie. So uh, the first one, you know, good. I liked Hemsworth. I liked the Earth stuff. The stuff in Asgard is always, to me, pretty boring, um, which tends to be the case with this new one as well. Um, um, as opposed to the other two, though, this one I thought was really fun. I mean, I don't know if you want me to already go into that. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so you get some brief thoughts on this one. Yeah, I just thought I thought it was, I, you know, of all, I think of all the MCU movies, meaning the official ones, this is the one that has the most feeling of being made by an individual director. I, I really like Taika Waititi. I like Boy a lot. Did anybody see Boy? For I that? have seen Boy. It's, yeah. I mean, his his films in general, I really like. <laughs> yep, agree. Yeah, this is, I mean, they, this is know, a Taika Waititi friendly podcast. They made a yeah, he's really good. They made a point of hiring more interesting directors lately, but they still there's that Marvel clamp that keeps them from being what I unfortunately sometimes call real movies, which I know is a terrible thing to say. But I guess what I mean is movies that can stand alone as their own cultural artifact without the, the, the scaffolding of the other 25 movies in the series. This, I thought, was the closest to being a really unique um, auteur movie. It's really funny. Hemsworth is really great. They've made Thor such a wonderful character now. And I'm going to also make a controversial statement here and say that I sat there and watched the whole movie. I also thought Hiddleston was really good this time. They used Hiddleston better than they ever had before, and they made that relationship Thor and, and Loki more interesting than they ever had before. Um, Looking at Hiddleston, who I know has been rumored as a Bond, I got to say Hemsworth is the only guy I can think of that could do Bond well <laughs> from, from the whole spread. I know he's Thor, so that's a big thing, but he is roguish. He's obviously an attractive guy. He's funny. Like, that guy could be James Bond. I know Black Hat didn't do well, but 
Hemsworth is my vote for Bonds. Like he's mm-hmm. great. Um, and the, you know it's really good. Again, the there's, there's about half an hour of Asgard, maybe 45 minutes of Asgard stuff. Unfortunately, Kate Blanchett is in that stuff. She's of course spectacular, but she saddled as Pete said yesterday to me with the, the most sort of static scenes. But man, all the stuff on Sakaar, all the stuff with Goldblum, of course, all the stuff with Ruffalo, who is the greatest Hulk there ever will be. Uh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. I had a really, really good time. And I, when I sat down, I was like, good Lord, 130 minutes? Why isn't this 96 minutes? And it is padded. It does feel padded, which is, you know, that's the thing with these Marvel movies. But I really was charmed by it. And I've been thinking about it since uh, since I saw it. The better Hulk than Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno? Look, I, the Hulk was my dear, nearest and dearest <laughs> character growing up, other than the Thing, and and I really am one of the few guys I love the Ang Lee Hulk. So it's been hard for me to 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 admit that this is an even better Hulk. But I just think Ruffalo, this iteration of the Hulk, is just the best. You know, they've done a great job with it. If you want to talk about some of the best ambitious movies that aren't overall good, Ang Lee's Hulk is a great place to start. I mean, you I, you can make that argument. I think it is overall good, but I think it's certainly interesting more than anything else oh for sure know? easily just the I, cinematography I really like alone yeah. the ideas they're big ideas oh yeah and it's not beholden to the comic but it but it it, it honors the, the, the original kirby lee comic um and these are these new marvel movies are also starting to really embrace that jack kirby look to the last couple have really started to embrace those kind of li- literally obvious sort of jack kirby designs on spaceships and stuff it's very it's fun you well, know yeah jack kirby like to get weird and if you set movies in space they're going to get weird <laughs> Yeah, now Thor is now, without giving anything away, Thor is now just a science fiction series, basically. And I think that's good. The less of the sort of faux Tolkien or whatever that, that it needs, and the more Flash Gordon, I think, is a, good, a move in the right direction. I think this is going to be the biggest Thor movie, and I think this is going to make Chris, Chris Hemsworth a bigger star than he's ever been before. Well, just this movie alone. Let me start right there with Thor. Ragnarok made $121 million this weekend in its opening. It's obviously the biggest opening for a Thor movie, and we'll probably put it around $300 million by the time it rents its run in America alone. It's already at like $427 million around the world. Um, I think there's a, the added value of things like Hulk and what have you Certainly help, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, but let's go to Peter. Peter, what have your thoughts been on the uh, the, the Thor films and, and this one? I've always liked Hemsworth from the moment that he took the mug, the coffee mug, and slammed it in the diner. I'll have another or whatever. I've I've always thought he was very charming uh, and stuff. But yeah, this for sure um, was the most like fully realized, like you know, uh, just a good film. I always, I've always thought that the the other two always felt the first one. I always felt seemed a little under budget, and the second one, I don't know if it was just reshoots or something, but it never really was very memorable. Um, but I always liked him, and and I would totally agree with Yancey. I never really found Asgard that compelling, and once again, that is still the weakest part here. Um, but uh, I'm really glad. I, I there is something about these. This, this I don't know what phase we're in. What phase are we in for the MCU now? Four? This, this three, is still phase right? three. In, in, I, Infinity War like, is the conclusion of three. Oh, okay. Because I feel like, yeah, like, like um, Guardians, Doctor Strange, and now this one, they all have these really wonderful color palettes and, like, they just, they do, they feel like they're a li- they're not like our, our tourist films or anything, but they feel like they they've given these filmmakers a little more leeway and stuff. And I, I really appreciate that. Like I, yeah, there's so much of this. Yeah. I mean, I almost feel like if you somehow saw the Avengers movies, but you never saw the other two Thor films, you'd be fine seeing this. I, I don't, that's the thing. I don't really think there's that much 
two Thors, and again, I am not a huge comic book person like maybe everybody else on here, but I don't think there's a lot to Thor. So I think what they get to do in this one, which is also a fantastic world you're going to and um, getting the, I guess what I've heard is the Planet Hulk. I guess that was something in, in the comics. Planet like, Hulk is a, yeah, it's a comic arc involving the Hulk on a gladiator planet, yes. <laughs> I, I really feel like, you know, it's interesting to me, um, I was just talking to another friend who saw this and I liked Guardians of the Galaxy. I totally do. I think the first one's terrific. Um, I go back and forth on the second one. I still enjoyed it or whatever. But sort of to Yancey's point, no one would ever say Chris Pratt should be James Bond. Like, I can't imagine anybody saying that. Chris Hemsworth or Chris Pratt? Wait, what? Chris Hemsworth or Chris Pratt? Chris Pratt from Guardians. Okay. I, I don't think we'd cast any of the ones as American as James Bond. Go on. <laughs> oh, no, that's true. Well, okay, you are right. He's American, so that probably would never happen. But... But it's interesting because both of these people are, uh, you know, tall, ch- tall, charming, attractive, leading men. But there's something about Hemsworth where it's like maybe it's just he's so like good looking and he's probably been that way his whole life or, or whatever. But like or has been. But like Hemsworth, especially as playing Thor, he's allowed he allows himself to be a little silly or something and not be afraid even in uh, or be a, kind of a, a a himbo or whatever in the ghostbusters uh, movie like he he allows himself to do that chris pratt who i think can be very funny and i like him in parks and rec sometimes pratt can come across as kind of smug and it and yeah I feel that hemsworth I is movie that. size hemsworth is movie size and pratt is tv sized Maybe that's what it is, but I wouldn't quite go that far. But I do think there's, you know, they're two different people, and I think they have different different things about them that make them likable. Like I don't know. I'm still not sure. I'm still not sure if Hemsworth should be Bond, but I, but I will say this. But I will say this. Yancey said this before. Yancey texted me that before I saw Thor, and then pretty much like five minutes into the movie, I was like, hmm, I kind of see what he means. Like he, like he would probably wouldn't be my pick. But I can kind of see it. I kind of see what he's saying. I mean, the I wouldn't necessarily need to, you know, pigeonhole everybody into some specific part that they were born to play, whether it be Bond or Deanna Jones. But I think more importantly, if you're going to keep getting, you know, white male leads in movies, I'd much rather have people like Hemsworth or Pratt that are that know how to, you know, that know how to challenge their own vanity, that know how to make fun of themselves and be goofy, as opposed to people that are so straight-laced and bland that we've seen in a lot of other movies that just randomly throw you, like, here's the next one, enjoy it, like, that have no personality whatsoever. Like You mean John Courtney? John Courtney or Sam Worthington or, or the other, you know, Liam Hemsworth. Who, who, who are these people you guys are talking about? This is from, like, 2010. Like, Garrett Hedlund's gone a long way to be like, I'm going to be in just all these indie movies that are awesome yeah, and I'm great and in, so, yeah, I can make, so I can make up job. for it. Like... <laughs> He's in he, well, he's, he's got a movie that's coming out this this year with um, Mudbound. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mudbound. Him and yeah. uh, Mitchell. Eric, uh, not Eric. Jason. Jason Mitchell from. Jason Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know what I'm saying though. It's like regardless if they should be Bond or they should be Indiana Jones or what have you. If we're gonna get more people that have the kind of fun that Harrison Ford was having in his prime, or even Brendan Fraser was having in his prime, where they're like leading men that can also be goofy. Like this is this is what you should want from this. I mean, I, don't, a, I, I I see like you know that I, that's a continuum you're talking about. Harrison Ford to Brendan Fraser to, to Chris Pratt is I think an unfortunate continuum. There's a tongue in cheek, too much tongue in cheek, way too much tongue in cheek. At no point now do I think of Chris Pratt as being a dashing movie star. He's just a comedian, whereas Hemsworth is still a dashing movie star. That I mean, that's fair. They're also both fairly young in their careers. I think. Sure. <laughs> 
they're 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 young in their careers at a place where movies are already at this larger than life status where they can give you these giant effects and whatnot as opposed to someone like Ford is coming in when Star Wars is a new thing and it's like well in addition to these effects we're also going to give you this guy that's just effortlessly watchable <laughs> like it mm-hmm. there's there's a I mean you're already here where things like Avengers and Blade Runner can exist where you can have the latest and greatest special effects that look like most other movies that are also out there and so it's it's a bit of a different battleground which is why we need room for things that are not white male leads to be taking over the movies to make things interesting and you know new which is sad to say after 100 years of movies but um Abe, what do you think yeah. of Thor? I know you like well, we, you and I both like the first yeah, Thor, exactly. which is one of I, our. I want to touch on that very briefly, which is I like Thor as a character, and I like the Thor movies. I, I think Thor, the first Thor, is a really good, solid family drama, and it really sets up the relationship between the father and also Loki. Thor two, I didn't like as much as anybody on this panel. I'm sure I thought that it was a very much a stepping stone. On the whole, I think that Thor has gotten a bad rap for his own individual movies, and that's kind of doing it a disservice because now people are just like, well, you know, I, I guess Thor's doing his own little thing. Whenever he's with the Avengers, he's got to go off and do mystical arts kind of thing. It's like, no, man, Thor, this movie, the Thor Ragnarok, is kind of the, the Thor that I would have wanted to see all along, which is what I think Yancey said, more Flash Gordon, less um, Tolkien. What was the other? Tolkien, Tolkien. Tolkien, yeah, exactly. Because I think that that stuff is, it's you've seen that in other genres, it's kind of boring. But Chris Hemsworth is way too charming to be that character brooding all the time. I'm just like, well, Jane, I'm sorry that I couldn't save you from Earth. I'm just like, no, man, let Thor be Thor. So that's uh, that's my hashtag. But for this movie, I, I enjoyed it. I, th- I don't think I, I quite enjoyed it on the same level as I enjoyed the first Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's like, this is coming out of left field. This is crazy that there's a, this imprint that Marvel let the director do this, or they'd go with this direction um, of like a, a of it having this popular 80s songs and then kind of being whimsical and also funny and kind of like sexually charged in a way that I wouldn't think uh, a Disney slash Mar- Marvel movie would go. Um, I did have a lot of fun with it. I think there's a lot of what you guys mentioned. There's the three story aspects of the of the of the movie, which they handled in an all right manner. Um, I do agree that the Asgard stuff is a little bit dry, and I, I think that it, as good as Kate Blanchett is, Kate Blanchett is, there's just not enough of her um, of her doing anything other than maybe brooding or standing or you know fighting off the folks. I kind of felt like they had to really deal with. Uh, Thor's band of heroes very quickly, um, which is unfortunate because they're, they're not really featured in the other movies either, but they're kind of his fighting crew, right? And Lady Sif is like nowhere to be found. Um, scheduling. Except for in a... What's that? Scheduling. Uh, scheduling. And also... Which, which saved in, her life, essentially, <laughs> given the rest of the... Pretty movie. much, yeah. in this movie. I mean, she, she kind of shows up in a little play early in the movie, but all that being said, it's... Um, it's very quick to do away with some of the things that that uh, we associate with Thor. Um, I liked the arc that it goes in to give Thor and Loki more of a, um, I, I guess more more to talk about about how their relationship has differed. Um, Anthony Hopkins is in this movie for a little bit of time, and he serves his purpose. I liked him better in the first Thor, um, but with all that, I enjoyed that they gave the Hulk something to do, and they they gave him more of the arc that you sort of saw, saw coming. In Avengers Age of Ultron, it's kind of unfortunate that I don't know if we're going to get another Hulk movie, but that it would be great to to go full on Hulk with this Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner 
uh, thing because I, I do think that he's one of the better uh, representations. I agree with Aaron that Ang Lee's Hulk. I've talked about this too. We've talked about this on the podcast. I I, I enjoy aspects of it. And I like the way that it's shot, um, but. It's uh, it's a furthering of Hulk, and it kind of gives you more of a sense of okay, well, Hulk isn't just like you know a, a deranged Bruce Banner, non-thinking. No, Hulk can make decisions. It's just that he's just angry all the time. So um, I do want to say that the Hikotiti stamp of him having humor is here, but him having heart, I don't know if it really comes across as well. And I think that's because it wasn't written by Taika Waititi. Uh, it was written by three other guys. Um, so that's the thing that, that I like a lot about Taika Waititi and Boy, What We Do in the Shadows, and Hunt for the Wilder People is that it's humorous, very humorous. But then there's a point where it's like, oh, well, no, this is all really real stuff that I can relate to, whether it be um, an absentee father or whatever the case. I didn't have an absentee father, but um, just more of you know real life things that ground stories and ground characters so much so that you're like, wow, that really does suck for uh, you know that kid in, in, what, in Hunt for the Wilder People just – him always wanting to have a family, but just never being able to kind of thing. So there's a lot of funny cameos in this movie. I, I, I laughed, but I do want to see it again to see if there's more than what I thought about the plot. Quick question. Have I Peter... agree about that. So I think you're right about the, the, it is missing a bit of the soul of his other movies, but that's, I think the Marvel stamp. Yeah. Quick question. Have Peter and Yancey seen hunt for the Wilder people yet? I have, I not. have not seen that. I did see the other ones. <laughs> you, you guys I love, I love you should watch it I love I know I, I, I'll watch it yeah you should watch that and Captain Fantastic as a double feature I've been say, I've been praising the hunt for the wilder people since last like April uh, it's so good but that tends to be the pattern I have on this show where I talk about lots of movies that end up on my top 10 that no one goes to see but whatever um, that's why you're our generation's dick habit <laughs> still, still haven't seen Patterson even though it's on Amazon yeah streaming. Patterson is another I one I haven't seen it either the, that's the, like a number one movie from last year The Fits is fantastic which is also my top 10 it's on, been on Amazon it's like eight, it's 75 minutes I think which is great <laughs> Um, Still haven't seen Ida. <laughs> Ida, which is fantastic. <laughs> Only 88 minutes. Seeking a friend yeah, for the end of the, the world is another Liberty one. <laughs> but, um, okay. Uh, I really like the first Thor. I do agree that it has a, a limited feel to it because Thor is saving one single street town in New Mexico in the first movie. But the, <laughs> aside from that, I, I think the, what left an impression was the performances. I do think, I do think Hemsworth was Thor when he walked on screen. Uh, well, Tom Hiddleston made a good Loki, and obviously that's carried him very well throughout his you know career for the past six seven years. Um, and not you know Anthony Hopkins is Anthony Hopkins. Um, the second one, you guys have criticized the Asgard stuff, but I think the second one does well is make the Asgard stuff more interesting. It makes it more it made it more like Star Wars actually, just little ships flying around and little gizmos and things that are just going on. I I still yeah Thor the Dark World still. It places very low on my list as far as ranking MCU films, but I do, I, I still, I enjoy it for what it's doing. And it also, they're both humorous. They both have senses of humor, which is why it boggles my mind when Ragnarok got criticized all of a sudden. It's like, or praised, or it's like, oh, it's the first funny Thor. It's like, Thor's always been a funny series. Uh, or, you know, how dare they inject comedy into Thor? It's like, well, what, what's wrong with that? I mean, this is, Agreed. it's, yeah. it's like, it, you're getting a standalone Marvel movie like this, might as well do something with it. And that's what I think Waititi and the rest of the team responsible for this does. They take this movie and really blow up the world. Somewhat literally. Um, they, they allow Thor to embrace the kind of cosmic angles that can amplify this character and the setting he's in to a better extent. And I think Hemsworth is great here, I think, as opposed to kind of the fish-out-of-water aspects that make up his humor and the 
the first couple films. This one really just plays into Hemsworth's strength as a comedic actor. Loki, I thought the world of you. I thought we were going to fight side by side forever, but at the end of the day, you're you and I'm me. I know maybe they're still good in you, but let's be honest, that path's diverged a long time ago. Yeah. It's probably for the best that we never see each other again. That's what you always wanted. Hey, let's do get help. What? Get help. No. Come on, you love it. I hate it. It's great. It works every time. It's humiliating. Do you have a better plan? No. We're doing it. We are not doing get help. Get help! Please! My brother's dying! Get help! Help him! classic still hate it it's humiliating no, not for me it's not i think he's proved that in thor movies he also proved that in ghostbusters last year ghostbusters, where he could be legit yeah. funny but i mean there's a story where he tells about a snake <laughs> that is like one of the funniest <laughs> things of the year um oh, it was great. or just like his general attitude throughout this movie as opposed to again as opposed to being you know wowed by things on earth or what have you here he's more leaning into like you know it's what we got a guardians of the galaxy movie that has kurt russell this movie he's actually playing jack burton like that's what hemsworth seems like in this yeah. movie like he's really right. Play, You're right. he's playing this kind of oblivious to things but at the same time super confident the same and it's very effective like it makes him very much the star of his own movie which is what you tend to want in a standalone movie like this as opposed to some where you know the ensemble you kind of get lost in the crowd um but in addition Dan, your to hammer pulled you off. Yeah, in in addition in addition to Hemsworth being, you know, just generally great in the lead, the cast is great here and the rest of the movie is like great around it. Um I saw this movie um with Anna and my dad. My dad leaned over at one point is like, There's a lot of fifth element going on here and it, yeah, there's a lot of like wild sci fi imagination. Corner? What? Dad's movie corner? Dad's movie corner. He liked Thor. Um <laughs> <laughs> He likes Thor in general. He's like but he likes the Thor movies. That's like and he's yeah. not big on superhero movies these days, so that's one where he's like, I like Thor though. Like I'll go I'll go see Thor. Um It's but, very flamboyant, this movie. It is. It's a, it's a very colorful and you know, big but movie. I mean, it's, it's 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 yeah, it's and I just I, I have to say that it's gotta be the first dirty joke in a Marvel movie and it's the, the hardest I've laughed in a, in a theater this year was that your hammer pulled you off thing. Star, Star Wars made some jokes in the first. Star Wars, yeah. The, the, there's a the Jackson. There's a Jackson Pollock joke really in the first Guardians. Joke, and I love yeah. It. <laughs> Star Lord had Jackson Pollock yeah. joke, which was hilarious. Oh yeah, you're right. Regardless, regardless, there's well. a, there's a lot of there's a lot of great humor in this movie, and just yeah. but a lot of just attention to detail as far as making this making the world of Sakar work, and even just like stuff on As like there's just a lot of a lot of work went into the design of this film that I really appreciated. I think it. You know, given that I'm very excited for Black Panther just because of how it looks, it's like, oh, Thor, you know, they're really up the costumes in this department also. There's a lot of just wild stuff going on here that really works for the film. And yeah, it's, it is hilarious. And Taika Waititi selfishly gives himself maybe the funniest role in the film as Korg, <laughs> the, the giant rock monster that's like yeah, actually, super I thought pleasant. I thought that was the guy, I thought, because I just looked it up. I didn't realize that was the director. I thought that was, uh, what is his name, Reese Darby? The guy who plays Murray. I yeah, Reese Darby. Okay. Okay. I, thought it was. I was like, oh, it's actually the director. Yeah. Um, it's great, yeah. There's And in terms of the kind of the drama, I mean, we addressed kind of the, the hearts or what have you. I, there, I can agree that, and I've seen it twice now at this point, I, I can agree that there's, oh, this. I think it's because the story's so padded, um, because this, 
I remember there were rumors that it was going to be like a hundred min, a hundred minutes long, and then it's like 130 minutes. Like, oh, okay, well, we'll see what happens there. And it, yeah, it does feel like you could easily knock off some of this movie and make it shorter and tighter. But I do like how by the time it gets through all these different arcs of these characters and whatnot, the status quo is nowhere near you know where Thor was when he began, or even you know after the second or third first Thor movies. Like things are really changing as far as the where where his character is gone. Um, versus where he started and where the direction of Thor movies, were there to be any more or whatever happened in the next Avengers films, where those go. Like, I think it really shifts things around in a way where I wasn't necessarily expecting. Agreed. Uh, what do you think of the, uh, we mentioned side characters like Grandmaster, but other side characters like uh, Tessa Thompson and uh, Taika Waititi himself. They were terrific. Um, I, I thought Goldblum was well used. Um, Finally, somebody mentions Goldblum. <laughs> uh, yeah, Goldblum was was uh, pretty well used, and I've always liked Tessa Thompson. So um, yeah, she's she's terrific. Go- Goldblum uh, is certainly Goldblooming it up here. Like it's very much a a role he to would, the end. They they yeah they invited him on to be the kind of persona you get Goldblum for these days, which doesn't it's not a bad thing necessarily for a movie like this. It certainly works. He's basically like non ugly job of the hut. And it's like it, it, it plays really well here. Um, Electric dance music loving Jabba the Hutt. Uh, yeah, there is. They, they, I mean, Return of the Jedi has that great scene from the new version of it that we all love. So you know, oh, God. yeah, that's right. <laughs> that great scene that we all talk about because we can't stop singing that song in that movie. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, yeah, give him a sexual dimension. It's interesting. There's a, there's a. We'll get back to the music in a second, but no, I think Goldblum handles himself well in a Marvel movie and certainly the, yeah. of the tone of this. Tessa Thompson's good too as a Valkyrie. I, I think the the, chem- right. the like the work that she and Thor have together, I think I think it works well. Um, you know, you lose the movie I think wisely doesn't kind of go for a explicit romantic angle in the same way it did with the Jane Foster with Natalie Portman's character. The other Is that readers. her last name? Jane Foster. Jane Foster, yeah. Okay. Very um, generic name. <laughs> Okay. 1962 Marvel Comics. What do you want? <laughs> but there's a, well, there's generally alliteration in most Marvel Comics. So. <laughs> Doctor Don Blake. Yeah, Jane Johnson. Maybe. Um, Jane Johnson. What do I get with? What else? And yeah, Tom, uh, anyway. we met, we mentioned Tom Hiddleston. I think he, he's, he's. I mean, he's he's used to being Loki at this point. I think. He, yeah, I think so. The, expe- yeah. the expectation I, I think you have. This is a good Loki performance. I liked him a lot in the first Thor, where it really kind of went into his his melodrama kind of thing. And I think that he's great in Avengers. Well, that's but what this I. Thor, is... This one, I think, it kind of gives a different personality side, like much of the other characters, that allows you to see. Well, Loki's not just dark all the time. He's actually a funny dude who does like to play tricks. But you know, he he all, beneath it all, he might not like his brother, but he also likes his brother. I think the what I like about the first Thor is that Brana's interpretation really leaned into what he knows, which is Shakespeare. And I think it, that the arc between those between Odin, Loki, and Thor, while not maybe you know the perfection of these characters, I think did a good job of setting up the those angles quite well. This one, yeah, it, it goes away from that a bit, but it's, but at least it gives it something to talk about as far as how you know later later on in the film as they kind of relate to each other in certain ways. There's some neat things there. I think it uh, yeah. kind of benefits the you know having been with these characters for you know the past six seven years. So has it been six seven? Yeah, two thousand ten uh, <laughs> or eleven, yeah. two thousand eleven. <laughs> so speaking of characters, I want to talk about Hell real quick, and 
I'd like to get your thoughts on Marvel's uh, villains, but also just Hela in general. I think she's a great character. Well, let's but let's, curious, let's save the villain talk because there's a question later on in the feedback that we That's have. That's true. Uh, but okay. as far as Blanchett in the film, I mean, she's kicked Blanchett. She's doing a good job basically vamping in this role. You must be Hela. And Thor, son of Odin. Really? You don't look like him. Perhaps we can come to an arrangement. You sound like him. Neil. Beg your pardon. Neil. Before your queen. I don't think so. Again, yeah, it's a limited performance as a villain, I would say, as far as great me i mean ironically loki is you know the best marvel villain that we've had so far so it's... and then and yeah I, I put loki up there and also um uh, michael keaton yeah. those are the two villains that i i like the most in the marvel cinematic universe i still got to see i have home i haven't watched it again yet but i gotta watch it again to see where all this i mean beyond the just we generally like michael keaton I just I, I don't the character hasn't stood out to me any more than other Marvel villains. His 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 reasoning why he does what he does is is to me very impactful. I mean they all got reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean except for that elf from Thor Ragnarok or I'm sorry Thor two it's like I don't really remember his reasoning but anyway um, back power. To Kate <laughs> power. Back to Kate Blanchett. What did you guys think of uh, her performance as uh, as this goddess of death? She's, I mean, you know, she's, 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 I think she squeezes every possible drop out of a very thinly written role um, and obviously outclasses the material a bit. But I'm glad to see Kate Blanchett in any movie. So I would agree. Yeah, she looks and, and, and that costume is awesome. That costume um, looks great. Oh, my goodness. And she has eyeshadow or whatever. Yeah. And even though I don't love all the Asgard stuff, I mean, she's got one of the cooler kind of um when I say like, I guess like history of the Asgard, the the sequence where she they have a Sistine Chapel esque history of uh -huh. Asgard yeah. scene, like that seems pretty terrific. Did you, um, did you guys like Carl Urban, who is also there as you know, kind of the, the guy under? I think early on, yeah, but they, I think that they may have cut some of his stuff because I was hearing some stuff saying Carl Urban is great, and this is like I I've seen other great performances from Carl Urban. This one is just very meh. Yeah, it's nowhere near like his dread. Or, they, they, yeah, give, exactly. they give him an arc, which is what I, well, beyond, I think Carl Urban has his own audience to begin with, but also they do give him an arc in the film. Um, I, the they do, but it, it wasn't as strong as I thought or had hoped. Sorry, what was that? I, thought his, well, I thought his acting was good. I thought it was just a, obviously not much of a part, but I thought he was pretty yeah. convincing as that sort of a scourge. Scourge, yeah, yeah. his collection of of collection of things, you know, <laughs> of, including a Vespa. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of an artificial character arc for him. But I was, I got to admit, when I first saw Carl Urban, I'm like, eh, I'm not a big Carl Urban fan, but I, I thought he was his timing was pretty good here, you know. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Idris Elba returns for a brief bit as I, well. I'm glad that they gave um, uh, Heimdall something to do other than just opening the gates. I mean, certainly I think that the second one kind of expanded on that a little bit more. But now Heimdall is just like this badass warrior and gatekeeper who can see across the universes. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where we're talking about a lot of characters because there are a lot of characters here. So you're not going to get like a lot for all of them to do. And yes, you would think maybe benefiting the villain would be a, a way to go, but that's just not Marvel's M.O. at this point. So 
get it right on the heroes and what we do get are some really good heroes because you meant we right. mentioned hemsworth but yeah mark ruffalo is great here as hulk like as yeah. both as banner and hulk like it is yeah. it is because i know he does like a lot of the mocap at least like it's great to see that side and it leads into the action which we'll also talk about in a second but i think the banner stuff is it's both really funny but gives you some stuff to kind of chew on as far as where he is yeah. in his banner life. Right. <laughs> right they should do a Hulk and Black Widow movie, I think. I think that's a, that, that's a way to cover both those bases. But yeah, until oh, Universal's think? like, you know what? Maybe we should give Marvel something or make our own exactly. Hulk movie. Until right. that happens, yeah, just you're going to keep... Black Widow movie and have the Hulk be in it. I'm that's like, yeah, you're going to keep getting, like, <laughs> featuring the Hulk. Cameos, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, just... Hulk and Thor the movie, but you can't call it that. Fine. Right. So that's that's the other point uh, that that I like uh, this movie Thor Ragnarok is just it gives the characters much more than the, what we normally expect them to be, which is Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, sure, he's got a PhD. Apparently, he's got seven of them. But it's one of those things where in every other movie he's scientisting it up with Tony Stark, or he's kind of like, "Don't get me angry, I'm gonna turn into the Hulk" kind of thing. It's like, no, he has a funny side too. Everyone has a funny, charming side, and I'm glad that they kind of were able to exploit it in this movie for laughs, even if it isn't going to be standing throughout the entire um, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, that's, I mean, I want to get, this This is going to lead me to Anthony Hopkins, but I, what I like in this movie is that it really embraces that it's its own thing. Like, it's not, tr- it, it obviously has connections to the MCU, but it's writing more on, let's make a movie about Thor featuring Thor and guests, as opposed to, let's make a movie that's in this universe that has Thor yes. in it, but also has these other people. Which works yes. fine in some instances. Obviously, Winter Soldier is like a big favorite for a lot of people. Um, but for someone like Thor, whose movies have more or less been standalone films, aside from how they connect later on, I mean, the movies themselves, the plots they're telling, they all relate to Thor, and this one is like that. It just feels like it's done even better, uh, thanks to a mix of Waititi's attitude and just the the, the kind of the, the commitment of the cast involved in this film. I think there's mm-hmm. a, it works really well. And that brings me to Anthony Hopkins, who I think, I mean, he's, he's as far performance-wise, he's fine. He's Anthony Hopkins. But as far as, it, it gets me to kind of some issues I have where I'm, we talk about, you know, reshoots or whatnot, and it's all speculative thinking, but I I wonder, like, what they're doing with, with Odin and the kind of place he was at and how that wraps itself up, because it, it just feels kind of off to me. Like, it doesn't, it feels like, they shot a thing and kind of edited it back in to make it fit to the end, as opposed to maybe something they originally had. Do you guys have any idea what I'm talking about? I I, I know which scenes you're talking about. No, go ahead, Peter. No, I agree. I, I kind of know what you mean. It, it feels a little... Not really abrupt. It, well, it little... does feel abrupt, I would say, as far as why Odin's not in the rest of this movie. It's just like, well, that seemed to come out of nowhere. Like, I don't, I didn't really get why he needed to not be involved in things or why he was gone. It beyond the fact that, because as not a spoiler, but like you know, Loki is impersonating Odin at the end of Thor: The Dark World, and so it's like, right. okay, now we got to solve the Odin problem, and the resolve of that is, oh, he was here. And now he's gone. Like, okay, that's it. Like, there's it just like beyond Hopkins saying things in his accent, um, that doesn't do enough to, enough to justify why he's not really around for me. And I felt that problematic as it builds heavily into where Thor is by the end of the movie. Fair point. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I felt that way too. I mean, there's no. There's no denying that it feels kind of. Let's speak to the lack of heart you guys points. are talking about. I mean, the the kind of the loss. The lack of, of what? The lack of heart you guys were mentioning, where 
I get that Thor needs to cut. There, there is a to be fair, there is an arc for Thor. I would it's say it's not that there's a lack of heart; it's a, it's a lack of Taika Waititi heart. Okay, but I so, okay as far as something that kind of resonates more to everybody, um, mm-hmm. whereas opposed to we get art, we get specific arcs for certain characters, and Thor gets most the most significant arc as far as where he starts the film versus where he ends it. But yeah. I think because the Hopkins stuff, I didn't it didn't kind of click with me that well. I think it undercuts some of what the finale is offering i will say i like the finale mainly because i just didn't see that necessarily coming as far as how things are going to wrap up but to get me to care about thor's plight for asgard and how he gets to that thought i think the hopkins stuff was mishandled mm. yeah you know okay. i will say that that the uh the, speaking to hopkins that it doesn't really come across that well but the idea and the image i thought was really potent to have odin standing uh, in this sort of dream state on this cliff in mm-hmm. Norway, overlooking barren Norway, going, what is this place? What is this place? Thinking the Norway is, of course, where those legends come from. I thought that right. was rather, that was cool. They didn't do much with it, but the idea of them sort of standing in Norway and just sort of being lost in time was kind of effective, an effective pop moment, I thought. Yeah, yeah well, which is why I would say it's a better idea than it is an execution. Yeah. yeah. And I think well, that, that's what... Of Hopkins. Yeah, what, what was funny is uh, I watched it with my, uh, with my cousin, and my cousin was like, uh, what are they going to do with all the, the people that are on the ship? And I was like, I guess that's where the legends come from. And then they moved to, to Norway, and then they started expanding and conquering, and then they eventually end up in Minnesota. So I think one laser blast destroys the ship and solves <laughs> your problem. And undercuts but, uh, the whole movie. But, um... Yeah. But but uh, for for the Hopkins part, I I agree with you that there's just some strange disjointedness. Even when, even when uh, it flashes back to him the first time, I was like, what's going on here? Why is, why does it look like a different movie? Um, and while Thor has the most arc, and I actually like where the arc goes, uh, it's more of his humbling experiences, but also now he's, he's now become this, uh, I guess the king of Asgard. He's really like his, his potential as far as what Odin sees in him. Right. Um, but I, it just feels like they had uh, Anthony Hopkins for, for an hour and they're like, okay, well, what can we do? Cause that green screen looks really green screeny uh, when they're yeah, standing on the West world set or something. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's there. They, they shot in Norway. They got, they got those scenes. <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe the scene just looks so spectacular that it looks like it was a green screen, which is, which sometimes happens. Let's, let's, um, yeah, it does. And let's remember Hopkins is legit great in the last night, which is a terrible movie, but like he, he certainly, he's, he's having a really fun time in transformers. The last night. Yeah, yes. He, Yancy, he is good in that. And it's like, he's not even, it's not like he's in it for like it's, five minutes, which is what I thought he's in like the whole movie. <laughs> like he's there. I, uh, Hopkins is a good enough actor; he can be compelling even if he's not trying. It's a rare thing, and you know when he's not trying, but he's still compelling because he's Hopkins. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> but with all that being said, Aaron, you mentioned the music. I I didn't like the music that much. I did. I, it didn't really resonate with me. You're a crazy person. Mark Mothersbaugh's score is one of the best scores in this in this whole damn I MCU. <laughs> I might have to go. I might have to go listen to it again. But I just wasn't like, oh wow, this is really I I remember rememberable. Did you like the Led Zeppelin use? I did, yeah, but I mean that's that's like a, a song that I've heard outside of this movie, right? But I'm just talking about the score by itself. Maybe yeah. it's something that I just missed. This is the this is the first time in a while that I've been like, wow, this is a great Marvel score. <laughs> this is really good. Yeah, because I know that's something we've talked about, which is just well, the scoring for Marvel movies just hasn't been as memorable. Well, it's not even in terms okay. of like I can hum Thor now because of this. It's more of I just really like what Mark Mothersbaugh was doing and embracing the theme of this film as far as its yeah. kind of um, '80s roots, its Flash Gordon inspiration, it would have you like it has so much. 
interesting kind of electronic synthesizer stuff going on here that even Goldblum has a hand in doing at some point. Like, it's just, it's fun. <laughs> That's great. I love that. It's a, it's a super fun... And speaking of which, the presentation of this movie was fantastic. So the second time uh, when I saw it, we saw it in the IMAX, and not in 3D, um, but just IMAX. And it's great. Like, they, they, they did the open mat formats where you kind of, you expand the... It's, like, it's not like a... It's not shot on IMAX cameras, but it expands the screen during certain big moments. And it looks, like, fantastic, this movie. Like, it's such a well-put-together kind of piece of action um, where... I, as far as action in Marvel movies go, it's it's fine for the most part. It's not you know this one isn't particularly like gritty in the same way that Winter Soldier was trying to be, but it has its own kind of you know like it's got let's, its own unique flair let's go big were, with it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. kind of because there were a couple of times where I was like, oh nice, um, including one one action sequence in the early on where his hammer's kind of flying around and you see it from the point of the hammer. I was like, oh this is a, this is a cool shot. Yeah, like the cold open is fun and there's a whole. I mean, you want to talk about the influences. There's a lot of video game influence in this as well. And you can really see that towards the end when there are people on spaceships and walking on spaceships. And it's like, this is like oh, a side-scroller sure. video game that looks Absolutely. awesome. Yeah. Which, yes, again, I think Mother, which, again, I think Mother's Bow score completely adds to because of that. Like, it gives this I'll great vibe. i have to go vibe. check it out again, man. It feels like I'll I'm watching, like, Fantasy Star or something. Like, it's just great. Yeah. Um, what you call it? I was going to ask you guys a question regarding movie but now it's forgotten anyway i'll, I'll just shut out randomly <laughs> any other thoughts on thor ragnarok as we're going go see it oh yeah for sure well yeah, where, did guys, where did you guys rank it with the thor with the, the thor franchise it's easily the best thor movie oh no i'm sorry for mcu sorry sorry oh that that uh... i have an ongoing list on letterbox i believe it's somewhere <laughs> it's i think it's <laughs> i think it i think it hit in the top 10 Okay. Top third, I would say, yeah. Top third. Yeah, I'd say so too. It feels about in top third, yeah. Let me see. Let me see the exact number I have it already. Right Where's your letterbox? Letterbox. I'm Doctor Zeke in letterbox. <laughs> Let me see here. Seventeen films. Waiting. It is number seven. There you go. <laughs> wow. Okay. How many? Wait. How many MCUs are there? 16? Seventeen. Seventeen. That's what I forgot. Seventeen. Okay. Oh. So right in the middle, then. I, think, I mean, it's higher. Uh, a little bit higher. A... Yeah. But yeah, not too many spots off. I mean, no, it's a, it's a it's a strong MCU entry, I would say. It I, is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strong. It, this is the first movie that I felt that it was just a Thor movie altogether. Like no other need to loop in a stepping stone kind of feel. It's just a Thor movie. Well, the other and Thor movies feel like they're all Thor movies. Like you keep taking that. The one. first one, yes, but the second. One I didn't. I certainly felt like that was way more of a stepping stone. You, you know, just asking the what does stepping stone mean? Because there's no one else involved in that movie except Thor and Thor characters. It's it's answering the question, of, or it's trying to answer the question of, well, where's Thor during the rest of all of our adventures away from uh, the Avengers? And that's that's the feeling that I that's, got. From that's it. all of them. That's what Iron Man three is. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and that's what but Captain America know, is. It didn't <laughs> really feel as though it. Uh, set itself up to be its own movie and that's that's just perhaps me so anyway like it's not a good or bad thing regardless it's just that it's like it's it's very neutral, Thor's doing Thor yeah. stuff while Cap's doing Cap stuff and Iron Man's doing Iron Man stuff <laughs> like, yeah. that's true anyway um well, yes, you, you, de you definitely need to listen to that Mark Mothersbaugh score. It's fantastic. In this movie. I, I kind of just want to watch the movie again, just to, to get a better sense of you it. You can do that but... too. The thing I noticed the second time is like, yeah, it is padded. Like it's a movie that could be easily be like ninety six minutes. There's beautiful yeah. visuals. Some of them that I just want to frame as a as a picture, including the Valkyrie sequence. That's another but... question. What's the best shot MCU film? 
That's a good question. This would, this would rank up there. I think Guardians 2 has some wonderful cinematography. Yeah. I think Age of Ultron has some great cinematography. Good. Oh, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is a that that it's certainly the trippiest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it has that rainy New York. No, that's kind of nice. That Doctor Strange vibe. Yeah. Speaking of scores, Alexander Desplat's Doctor Strange. I can remember that one. Didn't Giacchino do that one? Giacchino, my bad. One one of the one of the big guys. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. It, I can't. Shot, By the way, Doctor like, Strange, his little cameo in this movie is fantastic. <laughs> great. Yeah. Yep. It is. Yeah. Like and that's that's as good as like Ant Man in Civil War, where it's like the character feels like the character. It's not him trying to be the character. He's just fully formed Doctor Strange at that point. Exactly. And he's, yeah. he's wonderful. He's basically grown since the last time we've seen him, which is fantastic. Yeah. They really. I mean, they really. I, again, I'm not the I'm not the hugest fan overall, but they really do a great job of that. Like now they've got Doctor Strange in the mix, and it totally feels like a comic book where all of a sudden Doctor Strange is a two page cameo, and you're like, yeah, they can totally base the next Avengers on Doctor Strange and Ant Man. Like those characters are already there. Like they really, gr- I don't know how they do it, but they do it. They 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 they, they play it safe, but they really really nail it. I mean, uh, you, what they're going for. I think well because I mean you can say that as far as their plot lines and the stakes involved in some of these movies, although they're comic book movies involving these characters where I don't really ever worry about them dying at the end. But the, well, no, but, but the, I think it, it's because they're rooted in character. I mean, you can, you can boast about the kind of extent of the visual effects all you want and whatnot, but I do think they are, they do come down to the characters involved in them and the casting that they've done to make all these. I mean, I don't think anyone's badly cast in any of these movies. I think they all really resonate well enough and they give them little mini arcs or whatnot, but just stuff to work with as far as, the writing of who they are, not necessarily of what they're trying to accomplish, but who they are, I think matters. And I think uh, the the leads of these movies have all done a more or less, a, especially the heroes, not necessarily the villains, but have all done a more or less great job of wanting you to see more of them in films to come. Yeah. Starting with Robert Downey Jr. And now we the latest with like Benedict Timothy Carlton Cumberbatch as Dr. Strange. <laughs> <laughs> but I, mean, I think they can lose Downey now safely. Oh no! I I I welcome the next phase and what happens at by the end of these Avengers. You know the the when the when when Avengers four happens and we get like a conclusion to this series long arc of these characters. I look forward to seeing what comes next um, from who's still around. I agree. Yeah. I was some... actually kind of surprised with some of the uh, things that happened in this movie. I was like, oh, is is, uh, is there going to be a change here? But also, I mean, you guys are forgetting that, like, when I saw Thor, they had the trailer for Black Panther, which another one with a great score, or at least in the trailer. Yeah. Well, yeah, if, it's, if it's you're going to put good. Run the Jewels next to Black Panther, I'm all in for Black Panther. So. Yeah, Black Panther, that's another one that I knew nothing about Black Panther, but I would say, and I think the answer would agree, like, I'm totally down not only for that movie, but I am totally down for Black Panther being with the Avengers, and, like, he's great. Like, I, mm-hmm. I can't wait for that, you know? This, I mean, I people can criticize Chadwick Boseman for taking on like iconic black characters in biopics, but like the dude has to be a great actor if you already buy into Black Panther because of like what he did in Civil War. It's like it's like already has he's not that old and he has more gravitas than a lot of people his age. Like it really works. Yeah. True. Um. All right. What guy's the- son's getting real low. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, big guy. <laughs> what? Where should people see this movie? I assume we're all saying at least theater. Yeah, at least yes. theater. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I would agree. See it in the theater. See it in IMAX. Like it looks, it's a great looking movie. <laughs> it's, it's big <laughs> and fun. Like it's what you want in a, a cinematic experience in the yep. MCU. So, all right, let's uh, let's move forward. Let's get to our feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. 
Thank you. This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. We have asked the listeners a number of questions. You gave us answers, and then you guys asked us some questions, and we'll give you some answers to you. Uh, yeah, TM. <laughs> uh, the first question we asked everybody, is there an epic superhero showdown you're waiting to see? Chris writes, yep, King Kong versus Godzilla, or he's welcome to join the Pacific Rim team. First of all, King Kong vs. Godzilla has happened. You should go watch like the 1970s uh, movie that's with true. with King Kong vi- fighting this squid that's wrapped in saran wrap, uh, and I like that movie. <laughs> it's yeah, um, it's a movie, and, but they, <laughs> but Kong and Godzilla is coming, and I'm very it's much looking forward to it. I'm I'm, yeah, I'm into the, the 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 GCU, the Godzilla Cinematic Universe. So. <laughs> Everything's gonna have its own CU now. <laughs> it's that it's easier. It's way easier than than ECU or whatever DC's doing. So. Uh, Manish adds, still waiting for the Batman Superman showdown. That's very true. <laughs> they only they had like a two minute thing <laughs> in a dirty uh, bathroom. It was basically like watching Saw with superheroes, just you know, bad <laughs> with like green water. Yeah. That's true. Um, <laughs> lastly, George writes, Black Adam and Captain Marvel. I'm curious whether that's gonna happen, but we'll see. Did you guys have any epic superhero showdowns? You guys are still waiting to see. This is the easiest question I've ever been asked ever in my life. I need to see the Hulk versus the Thing while I'm still alive. Growing up as a kid, those were my favorite comics. Whenever the Hulk and the Thing would fight, I was like, these are my two favorite guys. I don't even know who I want to win, but here we go. Like, that's what I want to see. I understand legality is holding that up, but I want that. Trying to think of... Sorry, I don't have anyone. I'm I'm excited about the Godzilla King Kong. I... um, Yeah, I can't really think of... uh, any big mashup that I want to see. I guess I'll, you know, if we're going to get the Hulk and the thing, I guess I'll, you know, if we're crossing franchises and throw Hellboy in there just to see, just to mix it up. Like, just see what happens. But the Hulk and the thing are Marvel characters. I, 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 I mentioned mixing franchises. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the next question is, who is your favorite movie villain who redeemed himself in some way? Chris writes, Anton Ego. Ratatouille. Uh, nice. Ratatouille, yeah. Uh, Manish has Snape from the Harry Potter series. That's a good one. And lastly, lastly Jay writes the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. Well, that's, I, that's incorrect because he's the hero of the film, but I'll give it. Um, that's fine. <laughs> she is the hero Sorry, of the film. Sorry, she's Come the on. hero of the film. My bad. Villains that have redeemed themselves in some way. I'm going to go ahead and mention a, a, a small favorite of mine, Anakin Skywalker. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to add in Miles Dyson. He's not a villain. He's not a villain. <laughs> although, although he did create, he did create uh, the neuro, the network. I'll say not Jason Statham in Furious Eight. <laughs> <laughs> not Jason Statham. Um, next question we have here: favorite characters played by Jeff Goldblum. Uh, David writes: Loads, Jack in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, New Jersey in Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth Dimension, Ed in Into the Night, Seth in The Fly. Morgan in The Weekend, and of course his greatest role, his five episodes as Vermicious Scum in Captain Planet. I didn't realize that. That's pretty funny, though. Chris writes, I mean, Seth, Chris writes Seth Brundle or Mac in Earth Girls Are Easy. Adam writes Jurassic Park Independence Day Powder in The Big Chill. Jason writes his character on Buckaroo Banzai. William writes Brundlefly. Amy writes Dr. Ian Malcolm, and Manish writes his off-screen persona. <laughs> Which might be the answer, because he's a, he's a pretty kooky guy. 
Jeff Brundle I mean, is my uh, default. I, I think that or Jeff Brundle. Yeah, uh, Seth Brundle is my default. Seth, I think. Yeah. yeah, Seth Brundle. I think it the is. fly is a spectacular performance that utilizes it's, both his dramatic and comedic abilities. Yeah, it's, it's so, best, his best performance. It's so traumatizing. I will say I love him in the Big Chill too, um, as a journalist. And his two seconds in uh, Annie Hall. Yes, and, I lost and, my and mantra. His, I forgot my yeah. mantra. I forgot my mantra. <laughs> and his four minutes in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Always great, yeah. I mean, Always yeah. great, Grand Budapest. Like, yeah. His fingers get chopped off. <laughs> I mean, he's he's great. He's, he's great in general. I, I it's hard. To, I mean, there, there are some, there are some. That's why I like Manisha's answer of his off-screen persona. Just like, you know. well, there's there's very bad films involving Jeff Goldblum, but I mean the, not even especially because I think The Fly again, but like. When Jurassic Park, we talked about this in one of our comment or one of our horror episodes, but when Jurassic Park and Independence Day happened, this kind of one-two punch of Jeff Goldblum's an action star now, it's just like it set off this kind of oh he can play oh, this hideaway. God, this kind hideaway of guy. So like Jurassic Park, he's like a rock star scientist, and it's like this is working. <laughs> he can do this, <laughs> and he's basically done that for like the rest of his career. <laughs> pretty pretty much, much. Yeah, he redefined himself as like a sexy guy in that movie. He really like, got away with it. <laughs> it was because it was like him and like Nick Cage at around the same time. They're like these you know quirky character actor guys that suddenly got in big action blockbuster movies and just became mm-hmm. that for a while before settling down. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question is: What is your favorite Kate Blanchett role or, or roles? Uh, Chris writes Elizabeth or Galadriel. Nathan agrees and writes Galadriel. George has anything she's in, but Hannah has to be one of my favorites. Adam has Blue Jasmine, Carol, Lord of the Rings franchise, and The Good German. Justin writes The Aviator, also Benjamin Button. Insert Aaron's Benjamin Button voice. As they were getting, as they were getting older. He was getting younger. Thank you. <laughs> Planned it out just like that. And lastly, Jay writes Hot Fuzz. <laughs> I agree with Blue Jasmine. That's her Academy Award-winning performance, um, and she's also very good in Carol. Um, I I love her as Hepburn in uh, Aviator. Oh, she's great. Her yeah. other Oscar. Um, and I will say, I'd like to say one thing that occurred to me that I forgot to bring up. Kind of cool how in 2001, Kate Blanchett is this ethereal, uh, you know, Gladriel who has one moment of like being powerful with that would give me the ring or whatever. But then, you know, now in 2017, she gets to actually be kick ass as um, hey, she kicked ass in the battle of the five armies, like crazy. <laughs> yeah. They have that gauntlet legend scene in the first one. <laughs> so, yeah, but I would, yeah, mine would be, of course she's great in blue Jasmine, but I would, I, I would get, I guess I would want to put some love out to her Hepburn role in uh, aviator. Mm-hmm. And of course, Bob Dylan was great too. Oh, yeah, I never saw I've that. I've been there. Yeah. I'm not there. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth's really good, also. The, the um, you know, the the other period film when Shakespeare and Love won that year, like the, and it even got a sequel. So I had that going for. I forgot about that. That, that. that movie won an Academy Award. Shakespeare and Love. No one yes. forgets about that. Um, Joseph Fiennes. Joe, the other Fiennes. <laughs> anyway, hey, Joe Fiennes weak link in that movie. When's that? Joseph Fiennes movie when he's Michael Jackson. When's that coming out? That already that happened. <laughs> that already happened. Oh, man. That already happened. Uh, did it happen? Okay. Yeah. Well, it was like a show. anthology series. Wasn't it was, it? Yeah, it was just like a random TV thing in England. Like, it wasn't like a big movie. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't want to see it. On the record, I always thought that was hilarious. I, I never got any, I never understood the controversy. It's like, it's just a, like, it's not like it's some big movie where he's going to play like an Academy Award performance for Michael. It's just like, it's like a random two-minute thing. <laughs> well, 
you'll never it was know. Just a momentary. You, you can know because it's out. You can it, find it. It's probably online somewhere. You can <laughs> find it. It's not hard. <laughs> just search it. <laughs> Anyhow, who are your favorite movie characters to wield a sword? Jason writes Jesus. Wonder Woman. Chris writes The Kurgan and the Bride. Amy writes Wesley, Aragon, Ray. Lightsabers count, right? Jay writes Inigo Montoya. Justin writes King Arthur. Dennis writes Wesley, Darth Maul, The Bride, and Connor McLeod from a Highlander. Connor McLeod from oh. They My answer is crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of the women. That's, so Conan, a, that's an excellent one. I would say between Errol Flynn and Wesley Snipes' Blade, you got a pretty good run right there. <laughs> those two. <laughs> Only those two. <laughs> that is good. Oh, never mind. My bad. My answer, Liam Neeson as Rob Roy. That's my answer. Done. <laughs> Rob Roy. Well, I like it. Okay. Uh, last question is, what casting choices defy your expectations in a good way? Manisha says, I wasn't crazy about Dizzy, uh, Daisy Ridley only because I hadn't seen her in anything. Obviously, I was proved wrong and then some. Adam writes, Daniel Craig as James Bond, Anne Hathaway as Catwoman, and Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones. It's Ooh, like Tyler Adam knew that Yancey was going to be on this week. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler has Batfleck. Dennis writes, Evans as Captain America. Zachy has Heath Ledger as the Joker was a big one. Chris Evans yeah. as Cap, and to a lesser extent. Uh, and lastly, Jason has the Grandmaster not being a blue alien. At least uh, he is Jeff Goldblum. Any, any casting choice where you're like, huh? And then they proved you wrong? There's a million of those. I think that there are. Yeah. I'm trying to I mean, th- you say there's a million. I'm honestly like, I, I, haven't, I can't think of the last time I was like really against like the idea of this as a thing. There have been some where I'm like, what? How I'm sure there are, but like, I tend to give benefit the doubt where I always think of the logically like, well, they didn't like try this out because they think this would be a bad idea. Like, surely they I saw something. Well, I mean, I, I obviously don't, I, I don't think any one of us goes into movies saying, oh, wow, that, that, that casting choice is so bad, I'm not going to go see it. It's just more of like, oh, I'm curious. Well, I about mean, that but point. you know, the internet exists and it certainly has opinions yeah, on things. <laughs> because I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that we're smart enough to not really give it that much credence right just well you know the internet's the internet and twitter is twitter but i'm still gonna go see a movie regardless i remember like so, when chris evans was I announced know. i was i wasn't against it but i was like dude's been in, like five superhero movies now he's captain america all right let's see where that goes yeah, and he's great yeah. i'm a little unsure we haven't seen that i'm a little unsure about rami malik as freddie mercury it's a little strange to me he's a little anemic isn't he seems weird well, they show those i mean the pictures don't I don't really care <laughs> right now. I'm just more like, all right, we'll see what happens. But like, no, see, yeah, sure, sure, the sure. problem with that is more again, than they, they wouldn't have cast him unless he was good. I mean, obviously they wouldn't have just cast him. We're going to cast the wrong guy. To piss everybody. I'm sure he's good. It's weird to, to sort of same thing with Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny Cash. I'm like, well, how is that going to Johnny Cash? He's great as Johnny Cash. So hmm. I don't know. I, I not necessarily against it, but it went, but before I saw darkest hour um, a couple weeks ago, with Gary Oldman, I was like, yeah, I get it, but, like, is it just going to be him doing, you know, just kind of playing a part under makeup? And then seeing the movie, he's great. Like, I I, yeah. pull, I fully embrace this Oscar he's likely going to win next year for this role. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, when they cast Gary, I remember when they cast Gary, I'm not to date myself, when they cast him as Dracula, I was like, Gary Oldman is Dracula? What <laughs> kind of movie are they making? And I just couldn't picture it. It's one of the best Draculas ever, but I was like, I don't understand how they're going to do this, and it was just something I hadn't thought of, you know? He does look that blade clean of the blood when Keanu oh, Reeves is shaving. That's what. That's one I. I probably if I was like younger and that was happening and I was aware from like what Sid and Nancy, 
and thinking, huh, let's see how that goes. But I, I feel like I could picture that if I had seen some of those roles beforehand. It was like, okay, Dracula. Okay. Hopkins as Nixon. Also, I was a little bit like, what? And he was great, I thought. Yeah. Interesting. Good, good. Yeah, I agree. That's one of those, same with like Langella as Nick. Honestly, a lot of people in Nixon, because no one really looks like True. Nixon, but they keep casting people and it's like, oh, this actually kind of worked. Like even John Cusack and Lee, Dan- Lee Daniels, Lee Daniels, yeah, the butler. Um, <laughs> thank you for thank you for using the correct name there, Aaron. I mean, it's a meaty role. I mean, good, really good example of why it's not just what they look like. Ashton Kutcher is just okay as Steve Jobs and Fast That's true. Fastbender doesn't even really act like Steve Jobs in the movie, and he's obviously a better Steve Jobs. So, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, like um, just recently, Chadwick Boseman's Thurgood Marshall. He looks nothing like Thurgood Marshall, but he's great in the movie. So it's like, right. I mean, yeah. All right. Next, now we get some questions that we were asked for us. Uh, we're going to answer them here. Uh, first up, we mentioned this earlier, but Gary asks us, talk about Marvel's villain issue. Which we sort of alluded to or touched upon earlier in the in the review, but yeah, Marvel just doesn't seem to have very strong character uh, characters for their villains. Like, there's just not much of an arc for them. Um, and if we went through the list, you'd be like, yeah, no, it's true because we talked about uh, Christopher Eccleston in the second Thor, and Kate Blanchett kind of has nothing to do in this one. I mean, she's killing fools. Well, they, I mean, they all have but, things to do. Like, I don't want to undersell it as far as, like, their goals and what they're actually doing in the films as far as killing off certain characters. Like, by the way, Thor probably has the most, you know, major characters that die in it's his franchise <laughs> compared to the other series. Yeah, um, surprisingly. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, it's, honestly, I just, I don't call it an issue anymore because I'm 17 films in and I'm like, well, I'm not, I shouldn't be expecting good, like, you know, super impactful villains at this point. I should just be expecting another like couple pa- you know people from they got from comic books and adapted them well, for this particular story. Let's not get let them off the hook. There. No, it's not. It's not a matter of letting them off the hook, but it's more of I'm accepting what I'm going to get in a Marvel film at this point because again, it's the 17th Marvel film. <laughs> like it's I, I sure. at this point is like should I really be like oh this is the time that they're finally going to get the villain like absolutely yeah. right? And I know a lot of people are kind of putting stock in Josh Brolin for Thanos, but it's like. I'm not expecting to get this amazing performance from Josh Brolin as Thanos. I'm expecting to get like another guy that's really big and you know causes a lot of drama before he gets defeated eventually. <laughs> like that's kind of yeah, the expectation. And, I, I have. And, and maybe to rationalize it a little bit, I think it's it's just that well, the movie's not about the villain, right? So it's about the insert superhero here that we're trying to watch on their own standalone, which I get. But again, that's why I think that it was really great to see Spider-Man: Homecoming and and understand where Michael Keaton's character is coming from. Um, Even even a few lines kind of really cemented um, his motives, which made sense to me. Well, also the reason the Keaton role, I think also, I mean, I don't know how much of a spoiler this is, but I mean, there is a, I mean, it's not a twist, but there, there's somewhat of a, of a reveal that happens in the second part of the homecoming that kind of makes Keaton's character a little uh, resonate a little more. Um, So I feel like, that's a nice surprise. But, I, you know, I was just wondering, maybe part of it, and this could be a Marvel thing, a Marvel MCU thing, not necessarily like, uh, like I mean, obviously, I think Doc Ock is great in Spider-Man 2. But oh, yeah. Well, Spider- Spider-Man like, in general has the best rogues gallery next to Batman. Part of what I think is going on with the Marvel movies, which I think is different than other kind of superhero movies, is that the Marvel movies, and, you know, I've said this before, but now I'm going to mean this as a compliment is that the, the, the Marvel movies are kind of like huge, big budget. It, it's almost like 
the phase one, two, and three are like seasons of television. Yeah. And if that's, if that's true, the big thing about television is that television is really about presenting characters that you kind of want to hang out with. And the fun of these Marvel characters is it's great seeing Thor go, oh, my God, it's the Hulk. We work together. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. I don't really care about the villain. What I, uh, it's kind of, Oh, perfect example. Uh, a friend of Yancey and ours doesn't like the airport scene in uh, Civil War. He's mm-hmm. like, what's the point? There's no stakes. I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, the point is I just really love these characters. So I don't know if a villain – it's like, yeah, of course there should be a, there should be good villains, but I don't know if that's their um, their mission statement. I, you I don't, guys are bending over backwards. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> I do. I feel like their big thing is – If I was really, bending over the uh, back – if I was bending over backwards, I would pronounce each of these films as my favorite film of the year. I'm not. Like I, I, well, I, point, out, I point out the flaws in all of them, and none of them really make my top ten list. Like I know where the limitations are in these films. I think the thing is that Marvel makes a choice of tone, and that tone is the constant, delicate balance of uh, self-reference. Like they're always cutting the wind out of their characters, which is which is what makes them successful and what makes Thor successful. But that means there's really no gravitas at all in these movies, and a villain needs to have gravitas. If the villain is also undercutting himself constantly, as tongue in cheek, it really can be pretty. It's pretty easy to then rely on deliciously evil, you know, like it's the stakes. They, they, they chose a certain tone that makes them feel like sitcoms a little bit, where it's really about the snappy dialogue and the, and the, and the self-referential jokes. When you choose that path, it's then hard to have a villain that you care about. He's, because that's well, a okay. universe. I think, Yancy, I think you're right. Um, no, I totally, I totally think you're, I, I agree with you. I guess I'm just saying, I guess that that is working for me. I mean, because to go back to civil war, there is, I mean, to be, I should correct myself. There is stakes in civil war. The stakes in civil war isn't the bad guy. They're personal actually, stakes. It's the personal stakes of the relationship between Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. And that does work in Civil War. That it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, can, you know, can, I mean, how, how is their bond going to be reforged or whatever? Um, but, but, but you're right. You were right. There is a lot of self reference and those other things. I, I would agree. It's also well, like, it's that you, guys- you mentioned Civil War, and I just want to point out that I think Daniel Brule is one of my favorite villains of this universe, despite the. As far as what his ultimate goal is and why he's there, it's not a it's not a super impact. It's not you know it's not a mustache twirling performance, but it 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 hits me harder than some of the you know something like Malekith that we referenced a number of times already, yeah. uh, just because of the kind of goal that he has in mind and what he does to accomplish said thing. And yeah. hey, to, I mean, I might be putting down Michael Keaton as far as it just didn't hit me as hard, but I'd still rank him fairly high in the scheme of other Marvel movies. Yes, I would agree. With well, that. I also do want to comment on the on. Daniel Brühl, it's great what happens with uh, with Black Panther and what he does. It's like, oh, that that's a great little plot thing that I, you know, yeah. he, he could easily have escaped that. But it's like, no, fuck you, justice is coming for you. Um, I was gonna add that um, uh, you guys have mentioned. It's interesting you guys mentioned the Marvel series, Marvel Cinematic Universe as like TV uh, uh, episodes, where yeah, if if a recurrent character is often showing up then you do get a sense of that person, that character. Uh, and I think that's why Loki is doing so well is not because Tom Hiddleston's great as him, but also because he's appeared in like three other Marvel movies. And so you, you are starting to see that. Yeah, no, he's got quirks and he's got, including uh, the Avengers, act. which is one of the most popular films ever. So right. it's like, it really a prominent role in that movie. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, whereas 
when you're writing think people off on TV shows that you watch, it's because they only show up for one or two episodes for like a small arc and then they're never seen again unless they make a super deep impact like what we're talking about with either uh, Daniel Brühl or Michael Keaton. But also, but it also speaks to Yancey's point of why he might not appreciate some of these movies as much because of how much it is like a TV series as opposed to a cinematic event. Yeah, but I agree with you too, Yancey, in terms of just like, yeah, call like – you know, call a kettle black. It's they're just weak on on villains. Although yeah. another weird thing, though, which is another movie that Yancey doesn't really love, is that the some people's argument against the Dark Knight is that Batman, who's who in theory is the lead of that story, isn't really very interesting because the Joker is so interesting and Heath Ledger's performance is so captivating that that's really the star. Of the I mean, show. I don't think Batman's the lead of the Dark Knight, though. I think Harvey Dent is the lead of the Dark Knight. Well, I also like Batman as just a, a true detective in, in Dark Knight. I, well, wait, but so, but even if we if we were to go with your thing with Harvey Knight, I mean, or sorry, Harvey Dent, Dent, he's not as interesting. It, it, I, mean, I, I, like Aaron, I, I, I disagree. Like, <laughs> yeah, go on. No, 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 I'm not saying he's not a good actor. But I'm not saying that either. I do think he's interesting. I think there's the, the arc there is what's fascinating. But clearly Ledger's performance, like, that's the one in that movie. I, I mean, think, I mean, you did, we don't need to get into Dark Knight discussions, but I don't think anybody's not operating at the top of their game except maybe Gyllenhaal, just because he's kind of short-sighted. Wait, who? Maggie Gyllenhaal's performance. I think it's the... If you I first thought you were probably Jake, and I was like, Jake Gyllenhaal's... If you, call out, if you want to call out performances, the dark, if, if I wanted to rank those performances, her and Eric Roberts are around the same level in that movie, but... Um... Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, next question. That's a good question. Thank you for that, Gary. Uh, Jay writes, what former guest of the show would you least like to face in a gladiator style fight to the death? Oh, least like. I read it wrong. I thought it was most like to face. Least like to face probably Scott Menzel. He's too tall. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like reach that's like way too, way too long. Probably. I mean, I'm scrappy, but like, I, you know, yeah. of, of the guests that we've had on the show, maybe Jose. Jose probably handled himself pretty well. I'm going to say, um, Jose and, and Marcus. I mean, like, they're very uh, soft-spoken guys, but seems like they might have a Hulk rage. So, like... I, I'm, I'm, not wor- I'm not worried about Marcus. Um, <laughs> Marcus. Marcus has, like, everything to fight for. He's got glasses. Oh, and obviously Adam Gentry. He's, you know, like a black belt in Taekwondo. He's, what he's, he's, he's fifth degree. He's so, like, yeah, he's fifth that. degree black belt. So, yeah, that there we go. That's the he's answer. sixth degree now. I'm not sure. Yeah. Most would be Scott Mendelson, obviously, because they just hold his head and he'd just be swinging. <laughs> Well, you guys have met Scott, I haven't. These are all friends of the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's move on. Next question. All right. Justin writes, this, this is a question. Here we go. Justin writes, do you think that Hollywood chooses white actors over actors of color on purpose, i.e. because they didn't get an actor they wanted or for something other for other sinister reasoning? Also to add casting an Asian, but giving them the most, I guess not casting an Asian, but giving the character the most Asian of names or switching out from the original story to fill in with, example, The Martian. So Justin's asking, why is Hollywood constantly choosing white actors over others, as well as why, when they don't cast certain actors, do they still give them the properties of said, you know, ethnicity or race or what have you? So why? As opposed to, why is it bad? Why do they do yeah. this to begin with? Unfortunately, I think we've talked about this um, maybe a few times, but part of it is financing, too. And it, it really sucks that, you know, if you want to make a movie like Aloha, which was not a very good movie, but you're saying, okay, well, I'm going to pitch this movie and I need financing for it. Well, who's your leads? Bradley Cooper. Okay, cool. And uh, some other person you've never heard of. Well, why? Because the character is a quarter uh, uh, Asian. 
like, well, no, we need a more marketable person to be a love interest. It's like, well, that that goes against the character that I wrote. Well, you're not going to get our financing then. So it it really sucks that sometimes financing is kind of what uh, it boils down to as well. <laughs> There's, uh, it's a question. Um, <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> Rich has answers. Um, that can go deeper than what we're about to do offer on this podcast, but financing is a part of it as far as selling rights to other countries as well that want to see you know certain stars or a reason to go to the movies to make it box to make it money. Um, there's you know there's also a there's an old guard that is in charge of Hollywood, is in charge of a lot of studios, people that are from a varying generations where they're used to seeing certain people in certain roles, and so the the desire isn't necessarily to put down others, but more along the lines of I'm familiar with this, and so this is what I'm casting, or this is what I'm hiring to direct, because I'm used to seeing this, so this is the options that I'm generally looking at. Uh, sinister reasoning, I tend to not think is the case. It's just more of a status quo where very few are being ambitious enough to alter, which is unfortunate for a variety of reasons, especially when it's something like Ghost in the Shell, where it's like, let's cast this person but still have everything else be Asian around her. Um, including her mom. Yeah, including her mom. <laughs> But um, yeah, it uh, it's not so. Not, not it is some, weird though because some, you don't really yeah. see it a lot in like the animated movies, right? In the animated movies, you know, like in Up, uh, one character is Asian, the mom's Asian, and then in something well, like Big uh, Hero Six is a huge example right there, where everybody Hero is like, Six, where everybody is like a person of color, and then I don't know, I it's kind of a. I don't know. It's a double-edged sword. Well, it relies on what you're to, selling. I'm not and trying it, to defend the studios at all. It's just more that it does. It is a question that has multiple answers, and it, it's it's it, it relies on what said film is trying to sell at various points. I mean, something like an animated film generally isn't selling. You know, aside from certain DreamWorks films, they're generally not selling you on the fact that you know Brad Pitt's doing the voice. They're selling you on the idea. It's like this, you know, new colorful adventure has this going on in it, and this is why you should go see it, not because of you know. Not because Ed Asner is the voice of Up, it's because, hey, there's a house with balloons attached to it. That looks fantastical. Let's go see that. Although the Ed Asner fans did come out in droves. Let me put that on the record. I do think, I do think a lot of this does have to do with, like, um, bankability and what what investors are are um, comfortable with and stuff. But who knows? You know, maybe next year's crazy – what is it? Is it Crazy Rich Asians? Asians? Mm-hmm. Is that – Yeah. If that's a, if that's a hit and that, and that allows – um, some Asian actors to become names, you know, to become familiar, that totally helps. That'll be, oh, we can cast her and him in it. I think that's the thing, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of, which it's is just... also like a weird thing to have like Chloe Bennett, uh, you know, openly say, you know, I changed my last name from her Asian last name to Bennett because she was getting more callbacks, which is just uh, what Aaron is speaking to of just, you know, some of this old guard stuff of people not wanting to cast Asian actors or actresses. I agree. It, it the the changing of diversity and, the, and you know the ad, the addition of diversity in films is a huge baby steps type of thing when it comes to Hollywood, which is weird. Um, and it's interesting to see the developments that go on yearly as far as where things go. And it's also never surprising when you know certain demographics do get to see certain people in roles that you don't normally get to see in some of their big hits. It's yep. rarely a surprise to me, but it's the other issue is how it's continually treated as a surprise. Um, which it, you know it helps lead to other films to get made. Something like Girls Trip is a big example. Girls Trip was a huge hit this summer, and that'll mm-hmm. likely allow for a lot of opportunity for the you know the stars of those movies, and as well as others in the same realm that otherwise might not have gotten a chance to be you know a, one of the main leads in a movie like that. But it, it 
it only you know you only get one other movie or another movie you know only so many as opposed to here's a whole slate of films that are going to feature these certain people or whatnot and that's a very good point yeah i mean like if if you think about it how many movies featuring um people of color were released this year i mean that were hits that were hits that were hits is it yeah it's It's like a handful yeah and you can you can only do so much backpanning on something like Thor Ragnarok, which does have a fairly diverse cast, with, complete with a Jewish Maori director. Um, <laughs> but, um, it's uh, yeah, it's something that is changing slowly, which is not the preferred state yeah. of things. But I can only help by seeing the movies that I want to see based on not not exclusively based off the fact that they have diverse casts or. Directors are not normally putting in the spotlight yeah. or what have you, but the fact that they exist, I'm happy to go champion the ones that I really appreciate. Saying something like Black Panther that's coming out next year, you know, another Marvel yeah, make film, a billion dollars. Uh, it's going to awesome. make a ton of money, but also has Ryan Coogler, who I've been championing since Fruitvale Station, let alone an entire, pretty much entirely black cast, aside from the Tolkien white guys in the film. So, yeah. all right, good question. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Justin. Let's uh, let's move on now. That was feedback. Be back, be back, be back. Let's get to uh, what time is it here? I think it's time for a very fast game here. Getting really into the mood of the uh, the holidays here. That was a good one. Well, you know, Daddy's Homes 2 is just around the corner, so. Oh, please. <laughs> I've got a game for you guys. Uh, it's movie taglines. It's actually not taglines. It's movie descriptions. Oh, you got me excited for a second for taglines. <laughs> so, so these are descriptions from IMDb that are based off of movies that feature brother-sister combinations. Um, the movie dev- heavily deals with those relationships. So I'll read you guys the description. If you know the movie, buzz in with your name and tell me the name of the movie. Make sense? I mm-hmm. think so. All right. First one here should be a gimme. Two sisters joined the first female professional baseball league and struggled to keep Aaron. The- yeah, see. Aaron. A league of their own. That's correct. Next one here. Con artists plan to fleece an eccentric family using an accomplice who claims to be their long lost uncle. Yancey. Yancey. Adam's family? That's correct. Huh, okay. <laughs> Next one here. A high school wise guy is determined to have a day off from school despite the principal. Aaron. Yancey. Uh, Aaron. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's correct. In which the sister kicks the principal in the face. Uh, next one here. The March sisters live and grow in post-Civil War America. The, wait, the what? The March sisters live and grow in post-Civil War America. Sisters? March. The March sisters? Huh? Post-Civil War America. Based off a novel. Hold on, hold on. In the 1870s. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) Post-Civil War. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start naming naming actors in this movie now. Okay. Kirsten Dunst. Yancey. Yancey. The Beguiled? That's incorrect. Yeah, that's during the Civil War, and they're not sisters. Yeah, I thought that too for a second. I was like, I think it's still during, yeah. Claire Danes. Oh, Little Women. Oh, shit. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone with a seal? Peter. Uh, I, Aaron? I was going to give it to Peter. So you, what, it was Little Women? Was Peter? that the answer? 
little, the answer, Sorry, I, 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 I will give that. that one to Peter since everyone uh, is so is so very gracious to give that to Peter. I'll give that to Peter. Wait, no, no, I didn't say little women. I know, but everyone's wanting you to get the point. So unless, <laughs> I said unless you don't want the point. Thank you. Yancy did. Yeah, Yancy did get it correct though. Yancy got it. I've right? never seen or read Little Women, so I have no context for the film. <laughs> anyway, there right, we'll move on then. A listless and alienated teenager decides to help his new friend win the class presidency in their small Western high school, while he must deal Peter. with this bizarre Yancy. Peter. Is that Peter? Oh. Peter. I heard Peter. Oh, election. What's that? No. That is incorrect. It's not election. Oh, my God. Yancey, Yancey. Yancey. Napoleon Dynamite. That's correct. Napoleon Dynamite. Hey, what did you say the plot was? A listless and alienated teenager must help his new friend win the class presidency in their small Western high school. Yeah, that's, while he oh, must that's deal not with the plot of election at all. That's yeah. definitely not election. <laughs> oh, I, you're right. Election's like a sister goes against her brother and won <laughs> the election. Right, 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 yeah. All right, here. A successful song and dance team become romantically involved with the sister act and must team yes. up to... Yancey! No, I didn't say anything. Oh. And must team up to save the failing Vermont Inn of their former commanding general. A successful song and dance team become romantically involved with the sister act team and team up to save the failing Vermont Inn of their former commanding general. Jesus, it sounds like a John Ir- Irving thing or something. <laughs> Uh, you you could be very close to that. Yancey Hotel, New Hampshire? That's incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> it's in New Hampshire, it's not in Vermont. I know, but I tried. <laughs> I'm going to start naming actors and actresses in this movie. Bing Crosby. Aaron? Aaron? It's not White Christmas, is it? It is White Christmas. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> here we go here. Two aimless middle-aged losers still living at home are forced against their will to become roommates when their parents marry. Aaron. Aaron. Stepbrothers. That's correct. Next one here. When two kids find and play a magical board game, they release a man trapped inside for decades. Yancy. Yancy. Jumanji. Jumanji is correct. Next one here. The youngest son of an alcoholic former boxer returns home, where he's trained by his father for competition in a mixed martial arts tournament. Yancy. Yancy. Warrior. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's turning into a tight game here. Uh, next one here. Uh, conjoined twins from Martha's Vineyard moved to Los Aaron. Angeles. So Aaron. Stuck on you. Stuck on you is correct. Which I think is legit good, and it's been on HBO lately, and I keep seeing like 20 minutes of it, and it's always fun. <laughs> It is a funny movie. It's a, but it's so rooted in like heart, so it's like you're never yeah. laughing at them, and that's the greatest for thing sure. the Farley Brothers for do sure. in their movies for the most part. And they, they do kind of look alike, Greg Kinnear and Matt Damon. Matt Damon, by the way, very funny. Uh, anyway, <laughs> next one, next one here. A mild-mannered man becomes a local hero through an act of violence, which sets off repercussions that will shake his family to its very Yancy. Yancy. History of violence. That's correct. Yeah. Wherein oh, yeah, uh, the brothers. brother got it. Played okay. by, William Hurt. Uh, right. William Hurt. Yeah. William Hurt. General. Hey, we uh, tried, tried to single him in his bed. General. When he was a kid. General. What's his name from? Uh, uh, from a Civil War. He was in Incredible oh, Hulk. Oh shit! I, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was Sam Elliott and Hulk. Exactly. Uh, yeah. They they switched characters. General Thunderbolt. What's his name? <laughs> Is this, It's not Thunderbolt. No. Well, that's his. That's his coat. That's like his. Um, it's Colonel something, right? Thunderbolt Ross. Thunderbolt Ross. There we go. Yeah, General, yes, General Ross. Ross. Yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, okay. Thunderbolt is nickname. <laughs> uh, okay, 
Last one here. Dispatched from his basement room on an errand for his widowed mother, slacker Jeff by discovery. Aaron. Jeff who lives at home. Jeff who lives at home is correct. That was a tight game, and Aaron was feeling it. I, I know because he was answering really quickly. Aaron, you won by one point. <laughs> so well, Yancey was strong. It was six to five. This is probably one of the closest competitions we've had as me as game host. So Yancey, you definitely need to come back on. Peter, good I know that you – kudos <laughs> to you for, for putting in a valiant effort. That was awful. All right. That was games. Yeah. Thanks, Abe. You're welcome. We gotta start wrapping the show up. So yes. let's do some out now presentations out now. These movies that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week. First up, Your Name. Oh, I like uh, Your Name. Yeah, go see it. Yeah, for sure, go, go see, see it. it. Absolutely, it's great. Um, the Glass Castle. I've heard mixed reviews. Uh, I was ultimately not a big fan of it. There's some good acting, but yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Patty Cakes. I've heard mixed reviews. I know, like Mark Hoban, like loved this movie. Like yeah, he was all into it. But I know it's. I know it's like basically every other movie about this topic you've seen before. <laughs> that's that's the main criticism I hear. Um, I know Peter likes this movie. Ingrid Goes West. Love it. Top five. Uh, Top five in the year so far. Westworld Season 1 out this week. I've heard awesome. good things. And the first 4K release on Blu- or 4K Blu-ray release for HBO. Uh, the Crown Season 1. Netflix's The Crown series. I've heard good things. Um, on Criterion this week, the Philadelphia story. Great movie. That's not with Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks. That's just no. Philadelphia. <laughs> okay. The Philadelphia story with, uh, what, Cary Grant? And, um... Catburn and Jimmy Stewart. Okay. Catburn and, yeah, all of them. It's, it's the Avengers of 1950s films, 1940s films. <laughs> 30s, 30s. 30s, 40s, 50s. 40s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. The DC Universe 10th Anniversary Collection. So the all the animated films are in this giant package set this week. Hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. Overdrive. Why did I say uh, this? One? Oh, this is a Scott Eastwood movie. That's why. That's why I was like, I wrote Eastwood next Scott to it. Scott Eastwood movie. It's one of these Scott Eastwood directed video movies. I was like, oh, yeah, he has one of those. Okay, good for him. <laughs> uh, let's see. On Scream Factory this week, Dark Man Two: The Return of Durant and Dark Man Three. Does anyone know the subtitle for Dark Man Three? Because I love it. Die, Dark Man, die. Exactly. Is that really what it is? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Oh. Um. Yeah, those are out on Screen Factory this week if you're Darkman completists. Um, and lastly, Hans Zimmer, colon, live in Prague. Mm, okay. Uh, if, you've, if you've enjoyed seeing clips of Hans Zimmer shredding on his guitar at concerts this past year, then here's all Shredding on his guitar. That's what he's been doing. Like He's been going on tour, doing all his <laughs> themes from his movies. If I was going to go see one of those shows, it would be John Carpenter's show, not Hans Zimmer's show. I mean, he ends with, what's it, Time from Inception. Like That's his, that's his big finale. That's a, that's a beautiful one. <laughs> that's what's on now. Let's move on. Extremely cool. These things that are now streaming on Netflix. Um, let's see. Stranger Things update, Abe. Have you watched it yet? I haven't. You gotta get I'm on that. So we can I, will, that. I will get on so it. So we can so do we can that show. Nights. Yeah. Um, let's see. Elias Grace is on Netflix this week. This is a new six-episode miniseries based off a true story um, set in like the late 1800s. It stars Sarah Gaydon, who's an enemy. That's where I know where that's from. Hmm. And it's written by Sarah Pauly. And directed by Mary Heron, who did American Psycho. And so not to be confused with the Elias Codius. No. It's, well, it's it's a, like alias A instead of E for Elias Codius. <laughs> um, Elias Grace, I hear it's um, it's kind of That's a... That's a strong uh, folks, list of folks that you've named there. Sarah and Polly, it, Sarah Polly, and, it, and it deals yeah. with kind of uh, injustice for women that's based on a true story compared to something like The Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid, Handmaid's Tale? Handmaid's Tale? 
Um, I know it's it's Margaret Atwood again, right? Yeah, and it's so it's kind of a Netflix compliment to Hulu's award-winning series. Um, also, Men in Black. I saw that that popped up, and Netflix was like, "Let's email you about right. this." They're like, "Hey, you might like this," and it said Men in Black. I'm like, "Oh, okay, thanks, Netflix, for showing me that's on Netflix." I guess. Uh, let's see. Next week's show. Next week, we're talking Murder on the Orient Express. Uh oh. Thor's Kevin Kenneth Branagh is back with Murder on the Orient Express. No Russian accent this time, though. No, but a big mustache. Um, <laughs> Abe, do you know the original film or this story? I do not. Okay, so you you don't know <laughs> how this thing ends. I don't know. Okay. I do not either. Okay, I'll be very curious how this update handles certain things, but I'll it'll be it'll I'll be we'll see we'll see what happens. I'm very curious. Okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, I I know nothing of it. Yancey, uh, I assume for... you know what I'm talking about. I do, I okay. do. We're seeing it Monday night. I'm seeing it with Pete. Okay, but I do know what you're talking about. All right. Okay. Uh, so that's next week's show. What's the last thing we do here? What should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Fancy. Uh, what do people see in theaters right now? Uh, I mean, I can't help saying go see Blade Runner. I mean, in its last moments in the theater. Um, uh, it, made, it made a whopping two point two million this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. It's you know that movie's gonna have a shelf life of forever, but on the big screen is pretty cool. So if you've got any patience at all for visual. Uh, patient sort of Tarkovsky-esque movies at all. Go see Blade Runner on the big screen. You know, it, sure ha- it, has an, it has an A-minus cinema score. Like, people that see it do like it. It's just people aren't really seeing it. That seems to be a problem. Yes, yeah, so I it's a sequel to Blade Runner. I mean, what are you talking... Of course. <laughs> like, like it's, yeah, I mean, Blade Runner wasn't that big either. Yeah, I know. It has limited appeal. Thing. I get that, yeah. What are you seeing next? Are you seeing Murder on the Orient Express? Right? With Pete Monday, yeah. yeah. Hearing mixed things, unfortunately, but I, I do want to see it. Peter, what do people seeing to do right now? Uh, uh, Lady Bird, for sure. Um, but what's in a wider release? Yeah, Blade. Probably. Yeah, I'd probably say Blade Runner. Can't think of. Yeah, yeah. Those are the two. Okay. Abe, or sorry, you're seeing Murder next, right? So yeah. yeah I'm seeing Murder. Yeah. yeah. It's Murder. Abe. Thor: Colon Ragnarok. See that? Murder and the Orient Express next. I would follow up with Thor. If wide release. As far as the small films, can't keep saying it. Killing of a Sacred Deer, Wonderstruck, no. uh, and, yeah. La- and Ladybird. Yeah. <laughs> Sacred Deer, Wonderstruck, Ladybird. Those are you know films to see if you can find them. Okay. Um, I know one Ladybird will expand over the next couple weeks because it's only like LA and New York right now. And yeah, uh, Orient Express is what I'm seeing next. Um, so yeah, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out and Out There. And Abe, you can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. You can find me writing over at weliveentertainment.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Find more fun stuff over at Instagram, okie and Twitter.com slash Moose, hashtag the Revengers. Uh, Peter Paris, where can people find more of your work online? Nothing right now. I've been uh, I've been in a dark hole only with myself. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, nothing uh, lately, though. I'm, I am always honored to be on this show, though. Okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> Yancey Burns, where can people find more of your work? Milky Way Blues, Blogspot. Look for new new stuff coming soon, if, if God is with me. Um, and also this show. <laughs> all right. You can, find all you. The, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now, Out There, and Abe over on iTunes, as well as on Audioboom. Listen to us on our interest SoundCloud, and Podomatic. Feel free to email us any thoughts you may have had on anything we talked about today over at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Right on our wall for basically.com slash podcast or tweet us at twitter.com slash underscore podcast. And of course, our Tumblr page. Send us plenty of gifts of Thor smiling in reaction to something over at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, Yancey, Peter, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you both. Thank you yeah. guys.
Thank you. And yeah, that's going to do it until we um, stop the engines and see what's going on in the Orient Express. Uh, until next time, so long. And goodbye. Later. On Scream Factory this week, Darkman 2, The Return of Durant, and Darkman 3. Does anyone know the subtitle for Darkman 3? Because I love it. Die, Darkman, die. Exactly. Is that really what it is? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Oh.